Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project. Uh, this is session number 624, session number 24 of season 6. Tonight, we are going to discuss episode 8 of season 6. So, in our previous discussion, uh, we went over episode 7, which is uh, a climactic episode. That is the uh, confrontation between Luthien and Sauron. Um, really sort of the turning point of the season uh, in, 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 in a lot of ways. So that was a big one, right? And not only that, but we had a great mortality of major characters, right? Not only did we kill off the entire rest of Sauron's squad, right? We killed Draugluin and we killed Thorin Gwethel. Um, but then we also uh, like booted Sauron out, and of course, then for good measure, killed Finrod Felagund. So it was a it was a it was a weighty uh, uh, discussion. Next time, so this tonight's episode is um, you know it's, it's the aftermath, right? It's the aftermath of that major confrontation. Uh, so of course, in a lot of ways, it's um, it's, it's sort of a lower profile. Um, moment uh than uh than that but i have been uh actually looking forward to this one because this is one of the ones that i have had myself most questions about and i don't just mean most questions about in the sense of how are we going to handle it um or most questions about in the sense of what exactly is the script team thinking instead when i say i've had most questions i mean most questions from the original text like what you know places where I feel I have to fill in the gaps and I'm not quite sure how like when I because th- this is one of the places in the Baron and Luthien story when I look at the story as Tolkien presented it which is not trying to fill in all of the psychological gaps it's not trying to tell us what everybody on the ground is thinking and doing at all times but how do we get how do these characters get from this point to that point exactly? What is going on in their heads that made them take step A to step B? The narrative just gives us the steps, step A and step B, right? How do they go from here to there? And exactly what's going on here. And of course, the, what I am referring to primarily is the Feanorians in Gondolin. I'm talking about Kelegorm and Kurufin. So tonight we're going to talk about the sequence that leads to their getting booted out of Nargothrond, which is, uh, there were two parts of Kelgorman Kurafin's um, time in Nargothrond that I never really myself fully feel like I fully was able to inhabit imaginatively reading the Baron and Luthien story. And those parts are like the whole part, basically. It's like how they came to power and why they lost that power. Neither one of those things ever felt like intuitive to me. And again, the story in Tolkien's defense, the story's not interested really in telling us that, right? I mean, we get a little bit. Um, We get some gestures at it, like Kurofin is extremely charismatic. Good. That's important. Uh, You know, it's good to keep that in mind and everything. But anyway, so one of the fun things about doing this adaptation project is we get to settle down and look at those kind of gaps and say, what exactly is going on here? Um, And so... Uh, I was delighted to find 
Um, so after teasing them already, I will say I was delighted at what I saw from the script writing team uh, to find that this episode is like following Kelogorman Kura. Like it's basically the Kelogorman Kura Finn episode that Baron and Luthien are themselves sort of minor characters in this episode, which I think is like we need at least one episode to really sort of sit down with our Fanorian friends and see what exactly is going on here. Um, uh, so anyway, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm excited to fill in that gap. Um, and uh, I think that should be that should be pretty cool. Before we get too deep into things, however, though, before I get, let me introduce briefly, Nick Palazzo and Marie Prosser, our head writers who are here with us this evening, um, whom, if I had been as practiced at doing this intro as Dave, I would have introduced right off, but forgot to do so. Dave couldn't be with us tonight, so I'm subbing in on the intro front. Um, but quick announcements. Uh, two upcoming moots. I wanted to make sure that people knew about the spring regional moot uh, process is underway. I've just, of course, recently come back from Australia, where we had our first ever Oz moot. Got to hang out with several awesome film film folks. Not only um, was I being hosted by Ilana Mushin, who's uh, one of our script writer, our new script writers from this season, uh, but also. Um, got to hang out with uh, Philip Menzies, our composer, who brought his piano uh, to the moot <laughs> so that he could perform. Uh, he gave a presentation on his work on the Aino Indole, which is really, really fun. So anyway, uh, it was just great. Um, and uh, I'm particularly grateful to Philip uh, for, because uh, uh, Philip, our composer, it turns out, is also... Um, Bit of an and a bit of an amateur astronomy buff, and so gave me a, a tour of the southern skies and introduced me to the strange stars when I was down there. So, oh, it was very cool. We 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 went on a um, uh, a river ferry, uh, so we're on a boat uh, looking up at the stars. Uh, and show he was showing me the Southern Cross and Alpha Centauri and the South Celestial Pole and all these other things. Um, not to mention. Like the things that were even weirder, like Orion upside down and the man in the moon upside down and, uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. That's actually that was super weird. Like I they just stared at the moon. For, it, it was it was it was in a crescent. So I couldn't see it would have looked even stranger, I think, if it had been closer to full. Um, mm. But like the moon upside down looks weirder than you might think. <laughs> like that was, that was a you, trip. You know what you have witnessed is physical proof that the world is in fact mostly spherical mostly spherical exactly yeah no it was uh it was cool and even you know like you know Sirius, the dog star up in the middle of the dome of the sky i mean it was it was it was cool it was awesome um so anyway had a great time in australia we had a wonderful uh, uh osmoot there and we're now preparing for two of our american moots Sunshine Moot in Orlando, Florida on March 18th and Tex Moot on April 15th. I've been joking and calling it Tax Moot, but it's not actually Tax Moot. It's Tax Moot down in San Antonio, which we've never been to San Antonio before. Um, so um, anyway, uh, both of these two moots uh, coming up here in the next couple months. Uh, really excited for both of those. Um, I want to, of course, particularly recommend Sunshine Moot, which is our next one coming up pretty soon. So check that out. Also, um, I have we've just launched and next week we'll drop the first installment of my new book, Exploring the Lord of the Rings, Volume One. Um, so my first installment, I'm uh, I'm I'm writing. So I'm 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 my original plan was to write 
one chapter for each of Tolkien's chapters, that didn't happen. It was just way too much. So that was a pipe dream, sir. It it, it well it's it was it might not have been for some people. It made sense based on my previous experience, which was my Hobbit book. But it turns out, and this might surprise people, the chapters of the Lord of the Rings, they're a little longer and more complicated than the chapters of the Hobbit. There's really more going on there. And so turns out, yeah, that's not working. So I'm gonna average about three chapters per chapter in the end. In including, it turns out, three chapters on the prologue, which is where I'm starting. So on, on his prologue uh, to The Fellowship of the Ring, um, I'm, doing, uh, uh, I'm doing three chapters. So my very first chapter, chapter 0 0.1, um, uh, which is my first chapter on the prologue, um, uh, which is called Finding Our Roots. Uh, and I'm talking about um, the very remarkable thing that Tolkien does in the prologue in establishing the relationship between his story and his modern readers, his story and our world. Um, and I'm going to be talking about like the notes on Shire records and all kinds of really fun stuff. Uh, Tolkien's retconning of the Hobbit and how he presents the retconning of the Hobbit. Really, really fun. So anyway, all those things I'm talking about in my first installment and that installment will be dropping next week. So how this is going to work is that, um, every month a new installment will drop. We'll be, I'll be doing basically like a chapter a month. Um, uh, it's going to take me a while to write this book. So you have a couple choices if you would like to read my Lord of the Rings book. Choice number one is that you could like pre-order it and wait for like three years uh, for me to finish the book. Uh, or you can subscribe and then you can get the installments as they come out and you can be keeping up with it as I go and maybe even have some input. So um Anyway, the uh, the subscription is super cheap. It's two bucks a month to subscribe to the book. Um, so if you go to go to BlackBerry, blackberry.signumuniversity.org, and then go through into the Signum Press area there, you'll see some links, um, and you can find my book and subscribe to the book. Two bucks a month to get uh, installment monthly installments of the chapters of my book. For the next few years until I finish writing my book on on, uh, on book one, which, of course, so I'm going from the prologue to the fight to the Ford. Um, and um, anyway, so that's uh, that is that is what is happening. I've been really, really excited about that. Um, I was writing on chapter one and then I decided that I really should go back and um, write on the prologue. So I actually did that on my Australia trip. So the chapter that I'm dropping is, was, was written on the plane, my favorite place to write, um, uh, while I was over the Pacific. So, uh, that was awesome fun anyway. All right. Um, so let us move forward. We are focused on this narrow part of Beleriand. So we're like between Nargothrond and Tulsirian, basically, though we're involving Doriath as well, indirectly. Like, not... I don't think any of the parts are going to take place in Doriath, right? But it's going to be... Right. I, sh I should have yeah. put Nargothrond on the on the section of the map. I, I cropped it a little too far this time. That's because okay. we do have scenes in Nargothrond, but not in Doriath. You're right. Right, right. Um, but, but we are going to be, like, uh, uh, Mablung and his uh, crew are going to be involved in that. So. Correct. Um, we are going to be thinking about Doriath, even if we won't physically be there. Okay. Um, all right. So, The Leap of Baron. So, the title of the episode is The Leap of Baron? Sure. That's what, that's probably, is that like just like how you guys have been referring to this episode, basically? 
that's the main thing from the text that people are going to remember right. that happens it's the most in this famous single event yeah yeah if if someone comes up with a better title i'm certainly willing to entertain it's one those. of the main things in the story of this episode that we didn't 100 make up right um because this episode is all about filling in those blanks that i was talking about before right. so yeah um yes uh it was funny so i i'll tell you my first reaction i actually forgot that episode i kind of in my head combined episode eight and nine episode mm-hmm. nine is the baron and luthien figure out the status of their relationship right um so like episode nine is the one like unofficially titled like it's complicated or something like that right um i had so, but I, in my head i had combined this episode and that mm-hmm. episode right so when i first saw the title the leap of baron i was thinking that the title was attached to that process as well Right when Baron makes it, I'm like, that's a really clever uh, title, actually. And then I was like, oops, wait, no, that doesn't happen in this episode. So, oh, well, uh, it kind of spans the two. Um, So we call this one The Leap of Baron. And then episode nine, we can call The Other Leap of Baron. (laughs) Anyway, probably not. If you want to save the title for the next episode, we might be able to come up with a better one for this one. Um, it'll just also, be that really be confusing to way. the audience. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, it'd be a great way to confuse people, uh, especially, you know, it, when like the titles of the episode, if the title of the episodes get released in advance, right? Everyone will be confused. So no, we probably shouldn't do that. But okay. Anyway. All right. Um, so we've got our three plots as usual. Usual. Our A pot is Calgorm and Cordofin. Um, uh, the trials and tri- tribulations of Calgorm and Cordofin. Uh, the B plot, Mablung, Mablung seeking Luthien. So the squad, you know, the army, basically. How, how big, by the way? A significant force. Significant. It's got to be. It's got to be enough that it would be a viable threat, um, right. where they couldn't just ignore them. Right. Right. So it wouldn't be like a squad of fifteen dudes. This no. would be. But he's also not emptying Doriath either. So somewhere. No. There. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay. but probably a couple thousand guys. I could easily like, see that. Yeah. Yeah. This would be a force that, you would not want to just ignore. Yeah. Yeah. We we started out the season by having Kelegorm and Kurafin show up at Nargothrond and camp out with all their guys. And that was a pretty significant thing to have happen. This is a bigger force. Bigger force than that. Yeah. Mabling is yeah. coming from a much closer area. He has access to a much larger army. Right. So even if it's only a portion of Doriath's force... It's a bigger group. <laughs> yeah. But if I had, if I were a betting man and I were betting on the odds between Caligorm's heavy cavalry plus whatever Nargathron <laughs> could throw out there after the, right. the Dagger Bragalak against the, you know, the forces of Doriath, even if it's just a, a you know, a small, especially since like a small ish expeditionary force in comparison to what they can field in, t- in entirety. Right. My money's on the Noldor. Well, well you know. We, yeah. we know what happens when you take the Fanorians versus Doriath. Well, yeah, we, we do. do. We do have some spoilers on that front, yeah. yeah. Like, that's that's not a hypothetical. So, right. you're right, that's true. <laughs> Nick. The Noldor win that's that true. one. If by win, you mean everybody loses. 
Well, yes, that of course is the well, other and that's thing the traditionally associated with the Feanorians, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and that but that's the challenge here is mm-hmm. that you know everybody knows what happens if this gets out of hand. Yeah, you know yeah. nobody walks away from this a winner. Right, right. Maybe Caligorm doesn't know. Kurfin probably at least knows that much. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't want to jump ahead too much. We'll get there. Um, C plot, the dwarf point of view. Um, now, I'm going to guess that I wouldn't be the only person to come to the dwarf subplot here and say, oh, yeah, there were dwarves. What, were they? They were doing something, right? I, that was kind. Of, that was totally me when I was coming into uh, to this here. Um, so, we'll. That'll be good. <laughs> if we could, it'll be good to, to review that. Um, and uh, and I want to make sure I'm seeing the significance of how that ties into the a plot at the very end, right? The way that it did. Um, so we'll. Um, um, we will. We will see how that goes. And then just briefly touching on the frame, um, uh, Gilrein playing matchmaker, this has to have come up, right? And can I just say I really like the fact that um, we're depicting Gilrein as being like responsible and unlike the enormously and inexcusably irresponsible bachelor dudes of The Lord of the Rings, Right? Like Theodrid and Boromir and Aemir, who have no excuse to not have tons of children and heirs already. Um, so, uh, yes, that Gilrein would be like, so, you're of age, you know who you are. Now, let's get on with uh, com- continuing the line, shall we? Uh, is a perfectly sensible thing for Gilrein to be doing. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, anyway, but... That's all we're going to talk about the frame. There, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the frame more. Um, the you guys on the script team have been kind of like um, putting like pins in right to kind of map out a basic story for the frame. Um, but we'll kind of put that together and kind of go through it, maybe flesh that out in some ways uh, in a future episode, but not tonight. Um, okay, so these are the things we have to review. Um, do you guys have a preference? Which plot you'd like to talk about first? No. Dealer's it's... choice. Okay, dealer's choice. I will say... I kind of like to save the A plot for the end, because I feel like if we get involved in it, we don't get to anything else. But of course, that is always a strong chance with the thing that gets saved for last. So, um... Let's do B plot, then A plot, then C plot. That's okay. what I want to do, okay. especially since you'll have starting. to you'll have to rearrange your slides then because they're no not worries. quite in that order. <laughs> I can do that. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. I, I did push the A plot back. I was like, mm, you don't want to do this one first, <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, well, okay. Actually, Baron and Luthien. That's not even one of the plots. So let's talk about Baron and Luthien first. Um, that 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 was a very sensible choice there on your part. Look at that. You did actually guess the order I wanted to go in. It is in the right order. It's ex- look at that. Read my mind in advance, Maria. That's amazing. Okay, let's do Baron and Luthien. Um, this is the part where you're not just reading my mind but informing it because I would have forgotten about this completely. So, Baron and Luthien, minor characters in this episode. We're not going to see. We're going to see a little bit of them certainly when we get to the actual leap of Baron and the everybody throwing themselves in front of Luthien uh, to protect her sequence and all that kind of thing. So, 
Um, what are the primary? It's it's a it's an interesting move, right? That Baron and Luthien are reunited, reunited for the first time since Episode Four. So it's now it's been there have been three whole episodes of them apart, and they're being apart during those three episodes is of course a major focus of those three episodes. And then we reunite them at the end of Episode Seven um, in the former dungeons, right? Um, uh, with, yeah, so with Luthien now remembering Baron in the Oubliette, and then there we go, right? But, so now to move from that and basically kind of not focus on Baron and Luthien's character is kind of bold, right? To sort of like, and now Baron and Luthien, the central thing of the entire season like we're bringing them together at last and never shall they be parted again but let's set them aside <laughs> for a, almost a whole episode here and talk about Kelogorm and Kurofin instead I'm not saying I don't love it I'm just saying it's a, it's a gutsy kind of move and so what are your thoughts in like how we handle Baron and Luthien, so as to not make it seem like a, 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 a sort of a, a really bizarre choice, if you see what I mean. Mm. Part of the hope is that we're setting up the next episode. Mm-hmm. Right. So, it's going to be about the relationship, primarily. And therefore, what's happening for the audience in this episode is the aftermath mm-hmm. of what immediately happens. So our main focus with Baron and Luthien is at the very beginning of the episode, where they're dealing with Finrod's grave, which wasn't Burying shown. Finrod, yep. Right, so we have to yep. show his grave. We have to show some evidence of dead Drogluin and Theringuethel. We have to say goodbye to Huan, who's going to leave them at this point. Right. So we're, we're kind of wrapping up all of that. In and the company, then, you guys had him leaving in the company of the, like, him escorting the freed prisoners back, right? Right. To mm. Nargothron, which, yeah. as I recall, is not explicitly said i mean like the people from the, like both huan and the refugees arrive back in nargothrond in the text um i like that little connecting detail that says huan is going to like herd him back like a faithful sheep dog <laughs> you know or it, he's going to protect them anyway something yeah. to do and kind of explained why he goes back to kelagorm right there right um without him having to use words yes Yes. So we were we were trying to make his storyline make sense because mm-hmm. Huan in this episode is going to make a pretty important decision, and yeah, we wanted to see that he wasn't there yet at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, and I, I so that yes, so we have a whole little mini arc for Huan within the shape of this episode, right? Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the episode, he is still sufficiently tied to Kelagorm in his. Mm-hmm loyalty that he wants to go back to him. He's and right. and then he's gonna turn from him by the end of the episode. So um so yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. So are we going to um I mean I imagine since Huan is not speaking in this episode that we're gonna have to do at least a certain amount of like what's that boy? You're heading back to Kurafin or to, to Kelagorm, right? I mean like somebody's gonna have to speak out loud what he's actually intending at some point, probably. Without making I mean, it 
too lassy to, to be right. acceptable? Well, you have to find that balance where yeah. he, he's going to be doing things with agency and then the other people around him can be like, what's this? And you can figure it out from there. So the prisoners who were in Nargothron don't know who Juan is and they could react to him with some level of fear before mm-hmm. Baron or Luthien could be like, no, 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 he's a good dog. He'll take you back to Nargothron. He, he, he just came from there. Mm-hmm. You know, like we could have some dialogue that points to what Huan is doing. Right. Right. Um, if we needed to. Without someone being like, so Huan, you're doing this now, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yes. Um, but yeah, so, so the, the Baron Luthien part at the beginning is, is that set up and aftermath and just like, okay, we did that. The next part of their storyline is them figuring out that they're not on the same page. Mm. So at first it's just like, oh, thank goodness we're together and we're reunited. Like you said, we'll be together forever now. And like, oh, it's so sad about Finrod and we have a whole mess to clean up. Like this is, a, and we got, didn't get any further on the quest. Like there's still problems, but at least they're together. Yeah. What happens next? They have very different ideas because they haven't sat down and talked about it at all. Yeah. And we're not going to do anything with that until the next episode, but just bringing them to that realization is something that happens in this episode. Sort of asking the question, essentially, like, mm-hmm. what do we do next? And just right. acknowledge that they don't necessarily really know what they're going to do next. Right. I it's going to be hard because, like, the more we spell that out, the more we're just pre-gaming for next episode, right? Because we don't want to raise too many questions we don't have any intention of answering. Well, the real question for the next episode is, are they they on the same page about getting married? Are they on Mm -hmm. the same page about fulfilling the quest? So the questions they're asking here are more like, no, literally, where do we go next? What direction are we walking in? (laughs) Right, right. Assuming we're not going to stay in this lovely place. uh, Right, so... You know, Baron is thinking, well, I'm still headed towards Angband, I guess. And Lucian's like, well, we can go wander in the woods again, I guess. Right. We don't have to go north. I'm, here we are. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So they kind of decide to head towards Brethel um, before they get intercepted by Feanorians. Yeah. Right. But it, that's that's a temporary solution. Yes. And... Like, they didn't really answer the question and get to it. So it just raised the, oh, yeah, what are we actually trying to accomplish here? Hmm. And so just to, um, uh, so I went back to the map here, uh, just to sort of show people, it is kind of a big decision. That is, because, I mean, Angband and Brethel are in opposite directions from each other, from where they are. So to say we're going to head towards Brethel is not like a compromise, exactly. It's not exactly no. a... Um, a, well, let's go somewhere that's on the way to both, or whatever. It's... it's uh, it's definitely turning your back to Angband and the quest and headed mm. in the opposite direction, at least for now. Um, right. So that's just just to kind of make sure that the, the, the significance that is inherent in the geography of that decision is, um, is sort of made clear to everybody there. Yeah, okay. Right. Um, yeah. But the idea is not to spend too much time on their discussion, right? How many right. scenes do they get? Um, they get the first one at Tulsirian. Mm-hmm. They'll have two separate 
conversation and traveling scenes. Mm-hmm. One of and, which is actually intercut with another conversation. Okay. So yeah. And and then the confrontation with the Fanorians. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And that's that it. One is like the bonus Baron and Luthien scene. Right. Um, so they'll be in every, in every act of the episode. We're not going right. to lose track of them, but right. they're not driving the story. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, that certainly it seems to me the most difficult challenge with Baron and Luthien is saying enough but not too much. Like, how mm. do you establish the issues without and then still say, but let's not go into that right now, right? You know, because we're saving that for the next right. episode. So um, I could see that being awkward, potentially, to try to walk that line. Yeah, that well, that was one of my concerns when we were looking at um, the, uh, the outline of the mm-hmm. season was that we have several episodes which are basically just Baron and Luthien figure some stuff out. And we had to, you know, season two Arwen slow walk them through a couple of things, you know, um, and have them focus on very, very specific scopes of decision making. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But but you're right that the idea of reuniting them and then not spending time with them can be very frustrating for the audience to be like, no, we finally got them together. I want to see what's going on with them. And we keep cutting away. Mm. Right. Yeah. I wonder how, well, I think the awkwardness, actually helps with that like making having them be kind of at odds with each other about what they're going to do that's Mm -hmm. gonna feel a little uncomfortable and and we're kind of playing with that um Mm -hmm. in a way um which i think is going to help mitigate kind of the the desire of the audience to stay with them they're like, ooh, this isn't going the way I thought it was going to go at all. And mm-hmm. it's not going the way that either of them thought it was going to go. They kind of thought that, well, wow, now that we're together, everything is going to be like it was when we met in Doriath. And no, there are hard decisions to be made. And, you know, like when it, when when you couple yourself with another person and there are hard decisions to be made, mm-hmm. things can get a little tense. It isn't. I mean, I do think it does seem to me very possible that um, merely the um, uh, sort of establishing that fact in this episode before it gets addressed and resolved um, to really just kind of sort of set the table with that, right? This is. Um, uh, in some ways, actually, to almost lean into that weirdness and disappointment. Um, you know, when you when they get back together and they're alone in the wilderness again, just like episode three ex- or episode four, except yeah. it's not the same, right? They're in a parallel situation, and yet... And, and if anything, it seems more natural, more culminating, right? Like, they're reunited again, just like before, except now, like, they've both suffered and struggled, and she's rescued him, and, and you know, everything that she was trying to do ever since she was locked up in the tree, right? She's accomplished now, right? She got to him, and she saved his life from the darkness, and, and, and look, uh, everyone's been, um, in, the the other thing that I really like about this is that I think it could be it could work really interestingly um, 
for the for the theme as a whole, right? Escape from bondage, because there's reason to think. That's why, again, like with episode seven being sort of, you know, being climactic there in the middle of the season, right? This could look like the climax, right? Look, we just, big old prison break at the end of episode seven, right? Not just Baron, but then accentuated with all of the living and dead prisoners all getting set free, right? I mean, it was like people released from bonds all over the place in episode seven. So that was, that's it. Right, that's the kind of thing we're talking about, right? And so to sort of realize, no, no, there, there, there are bonds that are still there. The problems are not solved. This is not; these are not the, you know, this is not the freedom from bondage that that you know we were that you'd um, hoped for. Yeah, yeah, that you'd hope for that we were that we were really building towards. So, because because um, in yeah. a modern story, this probably would be because they would just go off together and forget everybody else you know like it certainly that's yeah. really yeah this um the shape of the plot to this point could totally be a disney movie dark one but you know like right i mean like to some extent yeah. We'd have to have a reconciliation with the uh, with the grumpy father, right? But um, yeah, you know, so we have to work that in somehow. But but you see what I mean, right? I mean, like I mean, you've the, got the the, the black princess. cauldron. That's sure. Yeah, the black cauldron is at least as dark. Well, okay, yeah, up well, until this that. point, right, right. Anyway, no, I'm just thinking, like you know, like the right the elf princess who like leaves home and like pursues the uh, you know the and like rescues the prince and. You know, yeah, I mean, is it any less dark than Sleeping Beauty at this point? Right. Sure. Like sure. in Sleeping Beauty, there's some stuff that happens, and the threat is that everyone's going to die because it's going to be a hundred years, and you know the prince gets locked up, and there's a dragon right. and all that. Right. So. Yeah. No, I mean, I guess I, uh, this is just a long-winded way of agreeing with what Nick was saying that you could easily see a modern story which would end here. Um, and to to kind of help the what I would love to see you know our story do at this point is really push the reader the viewer to basically saying okay that seems like a nice work? climactic escape for, you know prison break I thought this was the prison break season I thought that's what we were this was what we were building towards right if like if that's not the prison that we're escaping from. If, if those are not the chains that are supposed to, then what is exactly? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. like, cause I can imagine, right. So we have mission focused Baron who's like, all right, all right. I just got to get her someplace safe mm-hmm. so I can do the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. Meanwhile, he's the one who gets tired. He's the one who has to stop every night. Right, like he's the one slowing the the thing down because right. he's right. going to just drop from exhaustion, and she's fresh as a daisy. Not the even whole to mention time. the whole like she just took down the dude who overcame him plus Finrod together. Right, right. Um. So yes, like yeah, yeah. There's in a no situation question. where he was not yeah. even a speed bump. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, yes, it is a peculiar place for him to be like, 
well, but I still have work that I have to do, so I'm going to... But I want to keep you safe. You who are obviously and manifestly a thousand times more competent than I and more capable of defending not only yourself but me, right? And yet I'm going to, like, protect you here somehow. I mean, yeah, no, that's... that's. But that, but again, the details of that, that's that, that's next episode, right? But again, mm-hmm. to, to be opening the question up... Right. Um, of like, okay, so where is this relation? If this isn't the happily ever after, um, mm-hmm. which it looks like it could be, which it feels at the end of last episode, it might seem like, you know, happily ever after, tainted by the sorrow of Finrod's death, right? But apart from that, everything looks fair for happily ever after. The bad guys are are gone, and you know they're reunited, and um, and yes, so to have, no, it's not happily ever after. No, the chains have not all been loosed. Um, and no, like their relationship isn't really where it's supposed to be. So anyway, that's, um, and it's not that's fun. the perfection yes. that we kind of want it to be mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Okay. And, and we make no claims that this is a perfect relationship. Sure. Yes. It's the love story for the ages, but... I, I mean, no real love story comes without conflict between the people involved. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, no, I, and I, I like episode it. four, they didn't have to make any choices yet or do anything. There's so, no stakes, like, right? Like yeah. th- that's what's changed since then. Is now they have to actually, yeah, make some decisions, yeah. do some things, and. I'm skipping past the leap and the conflict with Kelgorm and Kurfin because we'll get to that when we talk about the Feanorians. But, um, but we are also leaving this episode with Baron apparently very grievously wounded, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there's going to be that sort of note of unresolvedness of, of tension at the end of the episode too. Like, where are they going? How are they going anywhere? Um, uh yeah yeah so i that is to say i like how the um you know ending this with baron looking like there's a non-zero chance he might bleed out from his gut wound uh seems like a good place to end this episode with that sense of you know and i know she's going to treat him and everything it's not going to be it's not like he's going to get shot keel over and the credits are going to roll um but uh but still like it's 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 um there should there be just a attention. hint. Yeah. There should be just a hint of Philip Menzies' "Gift of Men" playing in the background. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Which, yes. which is roll the mortality actually, theme. Yeah, exactly. That's actually my favorite piece of the mm-hmm. entire film film collection. Is is the "Gift of Men"? Yeah. It's yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. So that's where we are with Baron and Luthien, which again is I think is is kind of an important cue for the entire theme. Um, let's get back to Doria. So Mablung, Mablung shows up. Um, in force. Mm-hmm. We got the super awkward reading of the letter by Gilgalad. <laughs> the, the, the worst assignment ever. The, the worst first diplomatic assignment ever, right? Um, uh, for, for Gilgalad. Um, 
and Thingol being furious. And we didn't get mm-hmm. anything other than Thingol like storming out in a rage, right? Did we get Essentially, any further, further yeah. resolution of that? Um, uh, so, so we got a vague sense of like, I will make them pay, right, from Thingol. And now we see the army showing up. So, how much. Um, when we have the army of Doriath showing up at the doors of Nargothrond, how much are we wanting to lean into the proto kinslaying deal here? Like, how do, are, are are we trying to make viewers think like battle is imminent here? We are going to set the armies opposite each other, mm-hmm. so you can see the people that you would potentially be fighting mm-hmm. like this is they're, they're closer than Fingolfin and um and the sun and the Feanorians camp were mm-hmm. in uh in back in season three right right season three season four season four the camps was the beginning of yeah season beginning four. of season four yeah yeah so it's you know like it's tense camps. The, the wrong person says the wrong thing or somebody accidentally lets an arrow loose in the wrong direction. Or, yeah, like the, I was thinking of the um, snake the shot incident with King Arthur. Uh, do you know, oh, do you yeah. know that guy? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the Mordred battle when, yep. when they're signing a truce but so, somebody gets bitten by a snake and he draws a sword to kill the snake and they see him draw the sword and that's the fight yeah. that how the battle begins that leads to the death of Arthur and Mordred. Um, yeah. Gotcha. I was thinking of the the shot heard around the world at at, uh, at Lexington in uh, right in Massachusetts and like could have in, been anybody. Intense it was just there a couple weeks ago. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> at, at the green where the battle was. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Battle. All right. So we are building that level of tension. Like Mablung and his army shows up, and it seems that violence is imminent. Because it's an army that showed up. But... Super, right. super possible. I possible. think I don't know about imminent, but like the because it's on course... the table when right. you, you don't you don't say, "Hey, we have some questions about the diplomatic situation here," and mass all your tanks on the border. Like right. that's not the right. conversation that you're having. Right now, uh, there's a there's an important question to be asked here, and I don't know if anyone is asking it. That is, anybody in the episode is asking mm. it. But this is Thingol's army. This is Mr. Like, oh, kinslaying? Are you kidding? That's the worst thing anybody could ever do. Mm-hmm. How could mm-hmm. you possibly slay your own kin, you monstrous Noldor freaks? Right? And he's now marching his army on mm-hmm. them? Right? I mean, like, now, again, I'm not saying that my sympathy is not with Thingol in his reaction to the letter that he receives here, but surely that reaction's got to be on the table for somebody, well, right? Like, who's the old Mr. High and Mighty, I would never slay my kin now? Right, right. Well, who who would say that, though? Like, would Curifin or Caligorm say Like, because they don't have super legs to stand on there. No, but I bet you they would mock him. For it, I don't know that they'd be the ones to say it because again, it's not like they. Uh, but um, uh, if it, the only person who could make that comment would be Mithras after the fact at the very end, mm-hmm. and I don't think he's going to mm. because he's so mad at Caligorm and Curfin and that moment. Yeah, the that fact that Thingol's being the... an idiot. Yeah, the fact that Thingol's being an idiot yeah. doesn't really make him feel any better. 
No, and it's it, it would not be high on his priority list. No, I guess the number one person I'm thinking of is Mablong. Mm, who's like, why am I marching right, against like, elves? Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, how uncomfortable mm. is Mablong? I yeah. mean, on the one hand, like, I, surely he's got to be on board with the, like, rescue Luthien. Like, he's right. got to be so, personally outraged, you know, as for, you know. But Oradreth is the is the person I would put it in the mouth of, like mm-hmm. in an attempt to keep the peace. Like essentially, you know, like yeah. when when Mablung's like, you know, you say that she's gone, but I have no reason to believe you. And Oradreth can say, look, your alternative is Kinslight. Right. Don't yeah. you want to know for sure, at least, you know. Before going that route, yeah. So that's the thing is that as tense as the situation is, nobody involved actually wants to start a war. Right. Yes. Yeah. So there's but it's, it's a show but of like, force. This is, it is turn over but, Luthien or else. Yeah. But but it's 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 a bigger deal than that, right? It's not mm-hmm. just like we don't want to start a war. It's like we don't like and no any violence is a super big deal. Like yes. one elf you know, killing one elf, even if it doesn't lead to war, right? Would be huge deal. Exactly. <laughs> huge, An international especially incident. under those circumstances when, it, yeah. when it's Thingol for crying out loud, right? With the elves of Doriath right. themselves. Um, so, yeah, I, I almost feel like that it's a, it's something that has to be said at some point, you know, yeah, and to, to show, yeah. Yeah, because the, the last time we had something comparable to this was the camp of Fingolfin demanding to know where Fingon was and mm-hmm. laying it at the feet of the Feanorians and being like, we need to talk about this. And they're like, but, but he's not here. And they're like, you would say that, wouldn't you? You know, you know is, who would bit... say that? Somebody who had Fingon. Yeah. yeah <laughs> well, exactly. and not only that, but like somebody who like left us behind for dead and then burned the ships. That's who. So, I mean, like yeah. there was this whole history of beef there, right. you know, and that's even apart from the Fingon situation. I was going to say, and so that's what's absent here is this is not the camp of Fingolfin and the camp of Feanor. This is right. Nargothrond and Doriath who have been friends the whole time, but who's in charge of Nargothrond? Yeah, and Doriath has not been friends with the Feanorians. No, they don't even have diplomatic relationships with them, and that's who wrote that letter. So right. this exactly. th- this army is really there for Kelligorm and Curifin. Mm-hmm. So if they're not going to turn over Luthien, then they there is turn an alternative. Somebody. Turn over somebody. We'll take them back to Doriath, and they can face justice there. So like, it's not really we're threatening to kill everybody or start a war or any of that. Right. It's more of the we demand answers and we insist that we get them. Like we're not right. going to just sit here and wait for you to write back a letter. Yeah. 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 But no, I just, and, and I don't think Fingal gets a pass on the show. Of no, Force. no, I just don't No, You know, but I mean, at the same not. time, like w- when you read the book, it's like, how could this not have happened? Mm-hmm. It had like, how yeah. does Fingal let that stand yeah. without doing something about it? Well, there's always the question of how much time passes between events. So if the the news from Tulsirian reaches Doriath almost immediately after that letter reaches Doriath, then, Mm. 
you know, no one had time to mobilize forces. Mm-hmm. Right. We're just giving right. them enough time <laughs> to create a dramatic situation. Sure. Yeah. No, I like it. I like it. But it is, I mean, yes. When you are in, like, the political party that defines itself as against kinslaying, to march your army into the field, howsoever good your reasons, right? Mm-hmm. I like, that's like, I mean, it's a big deal. You are saying we are willing to slay we're some willing. kin. Yes, exactly. We're we're willing to slay some kin, and 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 that's again, like, there's, it doesn't matter. And again, I do not question the like we need to rescue Luthien, like totally on board. But there is inherent and inescapable hypocrisy involved in the sending mm. force. Um, I, I'm okay with Thingle being hypocritical. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, I, I think it's I think it's good. I just um, I want to make sure you want someone to make call sure him that we. Uh, yeah, on his I, it, 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 I think it needs to be that that's it's like an it's it's a it's a little it's not exactly an elephant in the room, but it, it's kind of like I want to make sure that someone like, says that. Yeah. Viewers would know that we're well aware of the tension and the irony there and that right. thing goes. And because and also it kind of points to where it kind of points to where um, uh, it kind of points to where Thingle is in his own trajectory, right? I mean, he is pretty close to his nadir right here, right? I mean, his nadir really is when he sends Baron away, like that's his lowest point. But um, but he's still pretty close to the bottom of the well, right? And so to, to point out that here in this moment, when you, Thingol, are under the greatest pressure that you're going to, you know, that you, that you're you know when you are when you've reached your bottommost point and push came to shove you marched an army in the field against your kin right mm-hmm. um i think it's it's uh, worth worth pointing out i think um but okay um now so tell me more about the um, because we, I don't even think I said earlier in the session that we don't have a, a, a full script for this episode. We just have an outline. So there are some mm. of the elements that I'm still a little bit shakier on and need a little yeah. bit more explanation of. Tell me more about how the conversation goes. So the, because Oradreth pitches in, right? Mablon comes and talks to Kelgorm and Kurifin, right? Do, just do a little summary for me of how the communications go. So Mabung shows up with a, mm-hmm. with his, you know, we're willing to slay our kin if you push me army, right? And who comes out to meet with him? Just Kelgorm and Kurafin, or does Oradreth come too? I think we had all of them in that conversation. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because part of the storyline right. here is that Oradreth is technically king of Nargothrond. Right. They haven't officially usurped Nargothrond. And Kelgorm and Kurifin are very clearly calling a lot of shots. So they're not going to let Oradreth meet with Mablung without them because they're really involved in what happens here. And they can't meet with Mablung without him because then it looks like they've done something without the king's permission. So I, I think everyone's in the conversation. Right. right. And Ordreth 
it's important to realize that Oridreth also realizes that he finally has the piece of political capital he needs to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they finally took it too far. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because Mavlung, because Oridreth's first concern is, you know, you want the king's daughter, where's my son? Mm-hmm. who I sent to you, right? And when Mablung tells Ordreth the contents of the letter, he like he turns up to Corfin and is like, you did what? <laughs> right, yeah. right. <laughs> How many Fingal stupid... probably wouldn't shoot the messenger, but you made my son the messenger of that message, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How many stupid pills does it take? Right. Um, but it also reveals that Ordreth didn't know. right. Right. And that shows that Kelogorm and Kurofin have been acting on their own, which the audience knows, but the people of Nargothrond maybe hadn't known to this point. Okay. But now Kelogorm and Kurofin have taken actions that led to really angering Doria, mm-hmm. not a direction that Nargothrond had wanted to go in. Right. So it is really clear to Oridreth and therefore the people of Nargothrond that... Um, and, like basically, Kelgorm and Kurofin have single-handedly almost precipitated war right. with Doriath. Right. Um, so, so is this then we're envisioning the kind of the beginning of the schism, the or like the uh, the the out, the distancing, the um, uh, lack of the, the loss of sympathy with Kelgorm and Kurofin? So, so this is the tip of the wedge. Um, the the rest of it hits home when the prisoners return from uh, Talangarhath, yeah. right? And we find out that Finrod's dead, for example, right? Um, and that Luthien made it to Tolsirian and saved every freaking body, right? Um, right. Except Finrod, except Finrod, yeah, and the and Finrod's guys and Finrod's guys. So, <laughs> except for everybody saved. that we met, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. She saved all the dead people. Um, yeah. So there's that, um, and them, the prisoners who arrive. Right. Um, she did save somebody, and, and so that's that is a significant piece of information that is going to shift public opinion. Right. So now, tell me more about how that shifts public. That's going to shift public opinion against Kelgorm and Kurofin or just like generally yeah, pro. Because essentially they engineered a situation that sent him to his death okay. and made moves on Thingol's daughter in a way that nearly precipitated a war. This finally gives the proof that Mablon needs to not sit you know not demand her from Ordreth. uh you know not continue to demand that Ordreth produce her now he's got someplace else to go so this convinces him is it a question of convincing him that Ordreth was telling the truth or is it just like now he has something else to to do or something. Well, he has another he has another direction to go. Right now, Ordreth is his only lead. Right, right, exactly. That's yeah. what I was just going to say. M- Madeline's directions are find Luthien and bring her home. Right. So, Ordreth like being hey, she's not here. 
Right, yeah. Right. yeah. And and maybe Ordreth's telling the truth and he doesn't know where Luthien is, but that doesn't mean that those Feanorians don't have something to do with it. And that doesn't even mean... I, I mean, I could imagine Mablung thinking, well, look, if you didn't even know about this letter, how do I know they're not keeping her in a closet somewhere in Nargothrond? Right. Like, how do I know for sure that right. she isn't there and you don't know that she's there? Yeah. Maybe right. she's it's in a closet is... with Gelgalad. <laughs> No, different closets, different closet entirely. Um, different time, different closet. Yeah, different time, different closet, different age. Yeah. Anyway. Luthien's actually Sauron. <laughs> stop it. Just stop it. Okay. Um, right. so, so the point being, Oradreth not knowing stuff makes him look dumb and therefore unreliable when he says, no, Luthien's gone. She's not here. Or at least, uh, like... If he doesn't know stuff, then why should what else you believe? What else does he? What else does he know? What else right. does he doesn't right. he know? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So no, that makes sense. This outside confirmation that Luthien did in fact go somewhere else allows them to yes. move, and it yes. breaks the stalemate. But the reason the people of Nargothrond are upset is that yes, they chose Kelligorm's speech over Finrod's speech, and mm-hmm. didn't go along with Finrod's, yep, gotta fulfill my oath to this random mortal dude because that's right. how oaths work. Right. They're like, whatever, go do your thing. But that doesn't mean they wanted Finrod to go away and die. Right. Like mm-hmm. they And there's some of their own personal guilt at work here too. Right. Yeah. Like th- there's they're recognizing a mistake to toss out the guy who built Nargothrond. Mm-hmm. Well not built market and Moved not exactly to toss out but yeah no exactly i mean yeah, and, like, and i will say this is one of the things that of those steps that i was alluding to at the beginning of the episode this is the one in the text that i always found least convincing um right. like what exactly are they blaming kelgorm and kuru not that they're not blameworthy in some ways but like why is it, Nick? I, I, I'd always been thinking along the lines that you're still like, look, look in the mirror, folks. If you're upset right. about Thingol going off to his death, like, and, and Kurfin should say something to this effect, like, right. like you, you're gonna you blame ch- this on us. You right. chose this, right? This you chose, you, yeah. All yeah. of you, yeah. All of you were in this, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. But when you're mad, it's easier to blame other people. And, and... the more somebody gets defensive like that, the less inclined like they're all just going to stand there silently yes. while mm-hmm. or drift k- kicks them out kicks them yeah, out right right yes so in and this way so yeah the other thing we've done we ahead, is yeah. the whole thing the feanorians were up to in nargothrond was mm-hmm. all focused on well if we took tulsirian back or well if we did this like they, they had all these plans of how they were gonna solidify power and eventually be able to attack Angband, I suppose. But apparently none of those plans were ready to do anything to help Finrod. Mm-hmm. And yet Luthien could go and take the whole tower down by herself. So it by having that happen, mm-hmm. it shows them up as being all talk. Yeah, it makes Even everything if that's not they said fair, look really empty. Yes. But yes. it... it it had that effect. So that's part of the yeah. loss of political capital as well, is yeah. that mm-hmm. they've been talking yeah. a whole big plan and all these th- intentions that amounted to nothing. Yeah. I, and this is, I, so 
I the whole Mablung's army thing I think is a very clever adaptation choice in this episode because that really presents <laughs> that's a smoking gun like that is a thing a very bad thing that they have done that is a kick out of Nargothrond worthy mm-hmm. offense that they have committed right but then especially as you say then when you supplement it with those other things right yes and we liked this whole let's take Tulsirian back and make Nargothrond great again speech that you were making right but like now it, it, but then it, you it write it against empty. the capital and right yeah, it's all, it's all, it's, you know, so yeah, so you can see how it's, it's, it would look just not, um, it would look kind of pointless now, right? It would all, like, basically that they'd be, they'd be seeing through it. They'd be like, yeah, that was a good speech. But at the end of the day, like, what have they, you know, what have they accomplished? What can they accomplish? What, you know, anyway, um, but that's not enough for them to be like, we're kicking you to the curb completely necessarily. At least it wouldn't be as convincing, right? But in the context of the Madeline thing, now it's much more, right? And right. then even the scapegoating, essentially, like yeah. their own guilt on the Kelgorm and Kurafin for letting yes. Finrod go yeah. unassisted to his death, um, also by itself would still not um, would still not feel like a satisfying... Satisf- Again, there's no like smoking gun you have done something capital w wrong that you mm-hmm. should be kicked out for but mablung showing up really does accomplish yeah. that and therefore i think really effectively supplement all those other situations and i think another benefit of the way this is set up is like Ordrith gets a really bad rap from a lot of people's readings of the Simbronian. but to the way that this sets things up is that he has been waiting for his moment. He knew he didn't have the 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 clout to to you know knock them out in political combat, mm-hmm. as it were, mm-hmm. under the circumstances that already existed. You know, after they the people were willing to kick Finrod out, like that, like all bets are off at that point. Yes. But he finally has his moment, and he steps up and and says, yes. "Okay, that's it. You're out." That's it. Yeah. Knowing yeah. that with Finrod dead, the people are going to be so kind of like, like, what have we done? Yes. That they're not going to defend Caligorm and Kurofin at this point. Yes. Period. Yes. Um, now I like that a lot. Um, Making this moment into a moment of real strength for Oradreth, yeah, is as you say going to be something that's going to be nicely corrective of a lot of people's readings of the Silmarillion, where Oradreth yeah. comes across as weak. In part, yeah. Oradreth's apparent weakness in the published Silmarillion is a little bit of an accident of literary history in some ways. Right. Like, yeah. Ordreth's yeah. character kind of got shoehorned by Tolkien into a bunch of roles that, you know, I, it's just like, I don't think Tolkien sat down and was like, I'm Ordreth going to is make a weak person. Yeah. I'm going to make Ordreth a wimp. Right. Yeah. Like that's, well, you know, yeah. Think about how you were handling the final moments of Norn. You know, mm-hmm. no one set out saying that Norn, our, our first proto dwarf character 
is going to turn out to be a horrible person who has all these latent um, bigoted ideas. Yeah. But, you know, someone's got to kick the petty dwarves out of the caves of the river Narag, and it doesn't look good if it's Finrod, and it can't right. be Thingle. But right. Norn's there, so right. it's him. Right. Well, and it turned out that it was preferable to have somebody to have it be somebody that we already liked. Because right. it makes the tragedy of that kind of thinking mm-hmm. more impactful. Mm-hmm. It, it um, is. It is. And I'm not saying it didn't work. It, it It is an example, though, of getting written into situations of, I need a character to do this. Hey, right. Orangeress, can you well, just like hold the crown of Nargothron for a bit? But right. it, it's important to, to keep in mind, what was he supposed to... If, if yeah. Finrod couldn't talk the people out of... Uh, out of going along with Kelgorm and Kurfin's thinking, what was Orajareth supposed to do? Right, right. You know? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, this, I mean, if I could, like, take a few steps back for a second, this is part of the fun of adaptation, right? right. Is to be able to to get this opportunity to think through some of these characters. I mean, another, another element of Orajareth's character in the Silmarillion is that he's also kind of a, like, always a bridesmaid sort of character. Like, mm. he is on the one hand in a position of authority, but the stories are never about him, right? right? You know, like, he's he's he's, he's a supporting... Uh, he plays a supporting role in Turin's story. He plays a supporting role, uh, you know, in this story. It, he's never the focal point. He's never... He never even has a moment where he's, like, the hero, right? Um He's just always like part of the furniture in Nargothrond, essentially, and ends up acting <laughs> like furniture, um, you know, for quite a bit of the time. Um, so, again, it's it's totally natural like that it should happen. And as you say, Maria, it's a good example of, um, you know, you sometimes a story will corner you into a place and, you you know, where you end up making a choice. Right. Um and there were a few choices that led to Oradreth, to the apparent weakness of Oradreth's character. But anyway, that is to say, I think it's really fun to take this. And I love that idea. I love to to, to say, like, and now Oradreth, who was not weak at any point, though he was in a, a, a he was in a weak position compared right. to that of Kelgorm and Kurafin, right? He and knew himself to be in a tenuous position there. Right. But he, was, he was not necessarily weak, but his position was weak and he yes. was canny enough to realize yes. that. And he right. bided his time and then and now he's making his move. And he will be I mean that could this could should be, I think, a really defining moment, right? In fact um in fact we might want to be particularly thoughtful about this. The moment when he steps up and basically kicks uh, Kelgorm and Kurifin out is, of course, the moment he's going to become king of Nargothrond. Right. Um, yes. Not only the sort For of real. like quasi officially, but, but 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 in reality, right? Um, mm-hmm. We might want to be thinking about how we how we set up the Turin story Turin. here. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, like there there are going to be corresponding moments in the Turin story, which is, of course, the end of Oradreth's trajectory. Um, and uh, we might want to be thinking about how we might want to be setting up some particular important moments in Oradreth's later. Mm. I'm going to miss yeah. scenes at 
with uh, Ordris family at the breakfast nook. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's one direction we went with Ordreth and Sonfilm is to focus a little bit more on the family and domestic side with him mm-hmm. rather than the mm-hmm. mover and shaker of armies. Mm-hmm. He's right. not into that. He's not that guy. And right. hopefully that gives him some stability moving forward of like, that's, mm. that's what he's been focused on and that he can yes. continue to focus on that. And well, and it's a, it's one of our few elven families that we see all together. Like we don't mm-hmm. get that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of missing moms. There's right. a lot of missing Not, moms, but there's just, there's nobody, there's no families right. sitting at a table, having a conversation. Not yeah. to mention the fact that in that way, his family is particularly important anyway, in that right. he's, his is the family we see building from scratch. Like, He's the only one of these elf lords whom we saw, like, meeting his wife and getting married, right, at the Marathadathad, and then, like, having kids, and now we're seeing his kids grow up and become elf lords themselves. Like, we, Mm. um, you know, we kind of started in Medius Rest with a bunch of the rest of the elf lords, as Mm. far as their family situations and children are concerned. Ordreth, we've, like, watched grow up in front of our eyes, right, Mm -hmm. and we've seen him... Um, become in his early friendship with Celebrimbor, and you know we've had a we've 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 had a bunch of these sort of like coming of age moments. Um, but again, I'm, I'm thinking in particular like we made his wedding at the Marathadrathad a, a turning point, right? right? In the you know the elves there in Beleriand, right? So yeah. the meeting of Sindar and Noldor was told in his family story, and exactly when you're saying he's the only one we've like followed the whole way through in Beleriand. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's, yeah, exactly. Right, and exactly. that's what his story is—the story of Valerian mm-hmm. and, and Noldor Sindar in Valerian. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, most of the rest of them either had their families back in Valinor, but nothing has changed since then, right? Or they've lost some people, <laughs> um, right, exactly. I mean, other very people's families people... are important, like Turgon, of course. That, sure, you know, as you were just alluding to, but. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, his, like, this kind of, I mean, who else have we seen, like, get married, have kids, like, you know, and all Aerith of that well. has been a part of the, what, Aerith, <laughs> okay, Yeah, yes, that went sure. so great for her. <laughs> sure, yes. Um, yeah, Finway. well, there's the counterexample that proves the rules, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, anyway, the point is, like, again, this is why I really like the spotlight, like, having him be really focused on his family in particular, since, you know, we brought Gilgalad back into his family tree. And so therefore his family is of long-term significance as well. Um, And so having all of the Oradreth story and the Oradreth family story looming behind, you know, our Gilgalad figure when we, when we really get to him is going to be important. And we have, um, set up a Gilgalad who admires uh, Fingolfin and then it, mm-hmm. and also admires Finrod, um, but also has the advice and like canny shrewdness um, inserted into him by uh, by his father, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like that kind of those those elements together. 
he's kind of going to be all of those things. Yeah. When we get him in the second age, he's going to be the philosopher, warrior, king, politician. Right. 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 Um, not not a hothead like his grandfather. Which is why he is the longest running high king of the Noldor. That's it. The most successful high king ever. No question. No Bottom question. Of kings. Um, okay. Awesome. Um, we've strayed into talking about the Vanorians a bit, which is cool, but that's fine. We're going to talk about them anyway. But let me go back to Mablung for a second because I don't want to skip over. Um, Where having... his story lands. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, like having uh, having already taken a step or two out in bringing Mablung with an army to Nargothrond rather than just thinking about it, right? Um, I mean, as, as you guys explained, in the text it seems that the, ar- you know, the army doesn't get there, right? Thingol's going there, but that doesn't happen. So we made it happen, and I love it. As I said, I think that's a wonderful thing. You guys then went several steps further, and now we're doing more, Right. Um, so tell me, tell me, tell me, where's this headed? Where, what, what's going on there? Well, so Mablung is following Luthien. Right. He did like his mission is not over. His remit is come home with Luthien. Yeah. Right. Like he's, he's going to what to now turn around and go home. Like, right. oh, oh, Luthien knocked down the tower of Tulsirian. Okay. All right. Well, that's fine. No. I'll go tell Thingol that rumors are she was, uh, a little bit north of where I was. But I came home to tell you that instead of chasing after her. I hear you. Right. I hear you. Yeah. That would be a tough sell. So he marches north. We get an opportunity to um, allow him and his guys to give us some commentary on the impact. Because they've been up this way before. Mm -hmm. But it's never looked like this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the land is getting corrupted. Um, yeah, so I wanted to ask about that. So there were the two things. The two things that you guys emphasized were their perception, the perception of the Doriath elves of the corruption of the land, and mm-hmm. then of the um, like uh, reclamation of Tulsirian uh, when they arrived there. Yes. Um, so... Which that's barely a scene in in my opinion. Mostly, we're just seeing them kind of doing the cleanup. Now they're there to kind of set up a base of operations so that they can go out and hunt for you know, the missing princess, obviously. Right. Um, but to see good that is being done by the story of Baron and Luthien. Mm-hmm. Um, the story has impact. It brings mm-hmm. hope. It, you know, pushes away the darkness. It, you know, cleanses the corruption. Um, even though Baron and Luthien are maybe a little at odds with each other, mm-hmm. you know, it's still good to have been. The things are still good to have been. Right, right. Um yeah, yeah. Um right, right. Okay. What is the projected long-term impact of their perception of the corruption of the land? Um mm. is this a is this starting like an anti-isolationism thread At in least from Yeah. Yeah. 
So, yeah, there's a few things we were hoping to do to that. Is one, we're going to need to explain why Mablung and, Mablung and Beleg have different viewpoints than the rest of Doriath later on. Right. right. Like, so we, we had to show Mablung's reaction to this. Okay. So that By there's the way, some basis for it later. I, I personally don't... I, I'm personally going to kind of push for Mablung and uh, Beleg to bring at least some people with them rather than show up all on their lonesome as if that's going to do it. Right. Here's, anything significant. And maybe the it's these us, guys yeah. who yeah. also saw the corruption taking place. Yeah. Right. Um, the the other direction this is going is this is the episode where Glarong leaves Keep Helivorn and is going to be uh, stationed in Dorthonian. So for them to mention the waterways, we're connecting that to what's happening here right. and right. giving a hint of what's to come. Obviously, we're not expecting the audience to put that all together yet because right. they haven't seen it yet. But that's why there's a comment about the water and Ulmo and yep. all of yeah, you know, I was can, that. Can the land recover from this? Is, yes. the, is this going to get washed away? That's that's the direction it's headed in. A logical thing when it's Tulsirian right there in the middle of the river that has yeah. been corrupted and we're yeah yeah no, right. I, that that all that all makes a lot of sense. And just to make sure, I, I, I want to make sure everybody is following at home. Um, we've been referring to Beleg and Mablung showing up at the near Nithar Nuriad is what we've yes. been alluding. I just want to make sure that that's explicitly clear. The thing that we have in mind next season. Oh, uh, right. So. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. I, just, <laughs> I was like, did we not say that? No, we didn't say that explicitly. Uh, it, it just occurred to me we didn't say that explicitly. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So that's we're we're that's so thinking ahead towards yeah. that. I agree is important. Um, okay. All right. Good. Well, then let's. Um. um I have questions about. Given. Luthien's trajectory. How is Mablung getting home? But I'm not going to ask that because that's not an that's not an episode eight question. That so is, we'll, in fact, a later. Yeah. Question. I, I figured. I figured. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so we'll, for we'll, now, we can say that Mablung and his guys will all still be around this area in episode nine. Yeah. Yes. Can I say I also kind of don't hate the fact that. Um, Mablung is the guy who always gets sent out on like quests to save or accompany women and it never pans out for him, right? Like don't have Mablung either escorting or searching for your women folk because uh his his closing percentage is really low there, I want to say. You definitely want Ma- Beleg out Beleg is a better bet. Yeah, Beleg yes. is a better bet. Until yeah. you get to turn story, in which case neither of them is going to do you any good. <laughs> well, but for different reasons, right? Yes. You know, it's poor reasons, Mablung but... is what I'm saying. But anyway, yes, but, anyway what, um, uh, but later, later on, poor Mablung. Okay, so back to the Fanorians. Um, let's focus on. What, so I, 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 I love the discussion we already had about their ouster from Nargothrond. That works really well. Um, mm. Tell me more about their own their own plan 
and mindset. I guess one of the things that needs to be sort of explained here, and we've talked about this a little bit, but in the context of the whole the proposal letter being the sort of smoking gun that gets them that gives Oradreth the you know evidence that he needs and whatever. Um, why does Kurofin think this is a good idea again? The letter and, in the first place. Well, like, we had to. How first does this fit into their plan exactly? We had to first answer the question: Why do they go this way in the first place? It's mm-hmm. nowhere near any of the places they need to go. Right. So what I think he's hoping for is to at least salvage something of the situation because now he's got to go back to Mytheros without having right. Oh no, I was Syrian. thinking. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm still back a step. I'm still thinking about the letter that they sent. Oh, right. The proposal. So, right. So the idea there was that Caligorn was obviously very taken by Luthien. Sure. As most people are. Sure. Um, and Kelgorm writing an ill-thought-out proposal yeah. and arrogant proposal letter seems on, on brand. Right. But right. what Curifin's thinking is that single name to Silmaril, that's their business. This makes sense. And this would be a chance to have a union between the House of Feanor and Doriath, a chance that had never been on the table before. So if he can pull this so, off, right? If if you're so, the idea is that the naming there, of the Silmaril has given him like leverage of some kind. Well, it, permission. If right. you're going to be going out there naming the Silmaril as the bride price for your daughter, maybe talk to the people to whom they rightfully owe. Right. Be, right. Belong to yeah. whom they get yeah, that word. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Yes. Um, right. So, so if his, you wanted a Silmaril in ex- right, in exchange for Luthien, you should have been talking to us anyway. So I'm going to just right. go ahead and broach this topic since you've broached it already. Exactly. Right. Then right. she brought this up. Yeah. And I offer my brother Kelligorm, perfectly eligible bachelor. Um, right. Kind of and thing. much more valuable to you as a son-in-law than sure. that guy. Right. And easy so, to uh, think how even how that could be a mistake that even Kurifin could make. Right. In thinking that that argument might hold some weight, um, th- you have to be a certain level of delusional to think that yes. Thingol, under any circumstance, is going to be like, well, yes, that Feanorian chap really would, you know, be a great son-in-law. Like, um, I mean, you you have to be at least a little bit delusional to think that yeah. Thingol is going to think that under any circumstances, right? Of course. But, of also, course. I yeah. think and that Kurifin thinks that he's subtle enough to not in any way suggest that they're holding Luthien against her will um, which at the point that he writes the letter they're not they're right? not right um, Fingal just immediately jumps to that conclusion because right. why on this, earth like, else the would only circumstance under stay there this, yeah yeah right yeah yeah so they made some mistakes there and this is not Griffin's most brilliant plan ever right but so, part of it is because he's never met Thingol. He's never been to Doriath. He doesn't have a good handle on the situation, and he misreads it spectacularly. Yeah, they're thinking of the Sindar. These people are kind of backward. You know, they are living in trees, and uh, right. I heard something about a cave, right? right? Um, 
they they call the thousand caves but that's obviously just you know um, right. hyperbole right um right so yeah. like we're offering them something useful here um right all all the fanorians know about doriath is what the dwarves have told them because the dwarves trade with both right so they've heard stuff very secondhand and they they've formed some <clears throat> maybe not great opinions but mm -hmm. right and the dwarves don't have a super high opinion of the sindoran civilization right also you know. that's my point yeah. so yeah, yeah. if the fanorians are going to be proud which they are and they're getting information from dwarves who are also proud which is not helping them yes yeah then yeah. there's going to be some going on. yeah right yeah. so that that's my thought as to how Kerfin makes that serious of a mistake so in a sense it's not that he exactly or sort of exclusively fails in cunning, but rather that he he's sort of really limited in information, right? He just he does as you say, he does not he doesn't have the like he doesn't have the experience of the data to read this particular room correctly. He thinks he's bullying the natives. Right. When he's actually poking a bear. Right. Right. Um, and yes. the the overall why are Kelligarm and Kurf in, in West Blairand in the first place, they were supposed to be accomplishing things while they were over here. One of them was make sure Tulsirian doesn't fall to the enemy. Right. And they failed at that before they even got there. And then, hey, we saved people and brought them back to Nargothron. So now we've got the spot in Nargothron. So like we're moving up in the world. And from here yeah, we right. can retake Tulsarian. We right. could expand things. But but Kurfin's end goal has always been, hey, you know, the High Kingship. Because right. we you know we ceded it to Fingolf and I, I wasn't on board with that, but it happened. No one asked Kurfin whether or not Fingen got to be High King next. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as far as he's concerned, it's still kind of an open question. Well and when they, they get establish... to Nargathron, they don't know as far as they can, there no, there is no high king. Well, actually, no. no as I mean, far as they know, Fingolfin's still high king. They don't know for certain he's dead. No, I mean, that I think that Mithro suspects it. He has like I, a I, sense I of it, but it's a little bit more than suspect. Like, and at this point, years have gone by. So, well, yeah. they but they had had no communication is at the point. very beginning of this. At no. the very beginning, yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, but, but yeah, I mean, as I recall, we were we were imagining that. Kurifin's plan A for coming over here with his and his brother's army was essentially to establish a Feanorian, a strong Feanorian presence in East in Western Beleriand, which there wasn't, right? Yes. And for which there's plenty of empty space, right? At this time, um, yeah. And of course, what better thing to do? And of course, even as uh, you know, the narrator points out in of Beleriand and its realms. Finrod's domain is the biggest of any of them, right? Mm -hmm. So um, if they could have carved out a little chunk of that, that would have been nice. Taking over in Nargothrond is much better, right? Now yeah. they're... Um, and, and thinking about, like, leverage towards high kingship, um, and especially if he controls Tulsirian and uh, regains... Anyway, yeah. Okay, so this was plan A. That's all falling apart now, they're um, 
they over significantly misread the room and overplayed their uh, hand um, with Thingol, and now they're on the out. Um, so the two questions, why do they go north mm-hmm. in the first place? Um, and I remember we talked about this way back when we were originally going through the... Well, we gave ourselves... A, a, we In saying that, you know, part of their mission statement was to, was to make contact with Fingen. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That gave us the ability to give them something to do, which had put, pointed them in the direction that that they're supposed to be going. Um, Are they alone? Have they lost their army? Yeah. Yes. Because Calibrimbor army... stayed behind, and their army was just like, "Yeah, we'll just—we're not getting kicked out." Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. basically, the only are, are we making Calibrimbor get... the leader of the new? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Marie, go ahead. Sorry, no, 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 because Calibrimbor is good friends with Ordreth, so right. this will be a much better partnership than Ordreth trying to work around Caligorman Curfin. Right. But. Uh, yeah, all they've got with them is two horses and Huan. Right. Okay. That's it. That's it. Okay, so they are and out at least on one bow and one knife. Well, <laughs> okay, yeah, they're weapons, yeah, but they have supplies, my point is they yeah. don't have any other guys. There's okay. it's because the the whole leap of Baron situation, you can't have other witnesses no. for that to have played out the way it did. Yeah, right. yeah. So yeah. they're for everything else, we can always be like, oh, so and so is traveling, but there's like a whole entourage that just didn't get mentioned. That's one situation where there was not an entourage. Agreed. At least Agreed. in my in my reading. Um, so yeah, we sent we send them north to make contact with Fingen. This is a recapitulation of the Arathel is leaving Gondolin so that she can speak with her father Fingolfin and get plans set in motion, and then she goes nowhere near Fingolfin and never meets with him. Right. In the right. whole entire time she's gone from Gondolin same thing here they were oh yeah we'll definitely make contact with fingen when they first arrive right. in west beleriand right. they go through their whole plan there and then they're like okay well after we recapture soul syrian then we'll reestablish connection with fingen from a, from position, a position of strength, of strength. Yeah, yeah yeah of course and then once they're taking over soul syrian they're like oh great this is, sorry once they take nargathron it's like okay cool we're, we're building up to that this is going well yeah and, and then it does not go well so they're like, well, let's just salvage what we have and go see Fingen anyway. We can at least get news from him and see what the situation is before we report back to Mithras. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. head north to go see Fingen. Right. Well, and, and you guys were suggesting in the to go outline. see Fingen. Cal- mm-hmm. I think that what we had was that that Kurfin intended to go see Fingen. I think that Kelgorm had other ideas, if I recall. That Kelgorm got um, Huan to track down Baron and Luthien, so they accidentally... Right, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I, I th- yeah, so again, with the... Not everyone's on the same page in all of this. Um, Kurofin's idea was, let's go talk to Fingen, and Kelgorm's like, which way is Fingen? Yeah, yeah, let's go do that. Right. Um, By the so- way, Huan, find her. Yeah. <laughs> which I love because of course Huan will make the wrong but understandable and friendly assumption about why Kelgorm is saying find her. Right. Yeah. Right. She's she's needs help. She needs help, clearly. Yeah. Um 
And if Huan still thinks highly enough of Kelgorm to return to him, he, Huan, will like to see that Kelgorm would seem to be doing the right thing, which is going to help Baron and Luthien, who are now alone in the wilderness and may need help. Yeah. Right. And, and Huan can't hear the soundtrack, so he won't hear the ominous sting that follows that. Yeah, so, you know. exactly. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. The, but the idea there being that Huan chose to go back to them. Mm-hmm. Huan chose to leave Nargothron with them when nobody else did. Like, Celebrimbor yeah. was like, peace out, see you, you're not my dad anymore. Yeah. And Huan's like, okay, I'll, I'll go with Kelegorm, like I always do. So, like, even if there's reluctance in that moment, he's still very much the loyal dog companion. There's got to be a, there's got to be a bitterly ironic line, right? Where Kelegorm says something to the effect of, like, well, at least, well, at least you going. haven't abandoned me. <laughs> right, on, right, exactly. At least I can still count on your on on your loyalty. Right, that that you know that means everything yeah. to me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then go yeah. find Luthien. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. So they're both headed in that way for similar Does, but different reasons. Is Kelgorm deceiving Kurifin? Does Kurifin not even know that they're hunting down that? Like they're they just on the don't talk or? about it. Okay. And if Curvin doesn't bother to think th- think this through, then that's kind as of as long as they're him. heading north. Why should he care? So when yeah. Curif- when they come across Baron and Luthien, then Curvin is genuinely like, "Well, son of a gun, there's Baron and Luthien. Like who to thunk? Like that's, I mean, is he surprised? Does he does he then see that like Kelgorm was doing this on purpose all along? Or does like I'm just trying to make sure like is that dynamic the Because, of course, now we are coming to the last thing that I'm trying to sort out, right? Which is the mentality of Kelgorm and Kurafin when they're attacking Baron and Luthien. Um, right. And if the two of them are not on the same page no. there, then it makes it even more complicated to try to understand. Right. right. So um, why don't we do it this way? Let's... Walk me through the scene, the Baron's Leap scene, the conflict with Baron and Luthien scene, from Kelgorm's point of view, and then from Kurafin's point of view separately. So Kelgorm. Okay. Kelgorm has said to Huan, find them, and, and Huan believes they're going to help them, and so Huan leads them straight to Baron and Luthien, at which point Kelgorm thinks and does what? He's very happy to see Luthien again because he's genuinely interested in her. Like, he's, yeah, there's that level. I'm not saying that he's a good guy about it or anything, but sure. But he's still, I, he's still. Is, is he is he upset with her? Does he feel jilted? Is he resentful? That's the thing. Is I'm trying to figure out if he has turned into the. If I can't have her, hey, nobody can. Or not even that. The. Hey, you're pretty. Hey, you're pretty. You know what? You're probably really ugly. Right. <laughs> right kind of mentality. Right. Gotcha. Of you gotcha. didn't pay attention to me, so you, you're now terrible. I don't right. think that's Caligorm. No. But I, I, I don't know if there's any hints of. of <laughs> Besides that. which, you. I mean, it's hard to convince yourself of that when Luthien's right in front of you, right? So, um, but, but you know, but, yeah. I wish that I didn't have an example like that of someone doing 
I forget. I I, I I forget you teach high school. <laughs> no, no, no. This was no. These yeah. were adults even. But now a friend of mine yeah. was yeah. on a train, and some idiot guy was trying to catcall her. And when she, you know, sensibly walked away from him, right? He yelled after her. You're probably actually fat, or something <laughs> like that. And she was wearing a sundress. So she like looked at herself and was like, oh, yeah, under the wow. size two sundress, you can't tell, but right. she's actually fat. And if right. so, she should feel bad about it for sure. Right. For sure. <laughs> anyway, so I don't right. know if um, Kelligorm is a train heckler, but right. he could be. Right. Okay. <clears throat> no, I think he kind of. I think it's kind of more of the kind of I did everything I was supposed to do. I was nice. She's to you. supposed I... to reciprocate me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's no reason not to love me back. Yeah. So when I... he sa- when he says to Huan, find her, what is in his head, as far as she's concerned, is mm-hmm. I'm gonna go after her, and when I find her then we're going to she have... sees me and him next to each other like yeah exactly so um so she's going to i'm going so it's not even like i'm going to get win her back or i'm going to convince her or something it's like well, i'm going to catch up with him and then like obviously like things are going to work out like they were probably would have worked out i mean he's probably rationalized her departure right mm-hmm. presumably um yeah so with his dog Golly, that's going to be hard to rationalize. But um, the dog came back. But, dog came yeah. back. I know, but like, yeah, yeah, she, she stole his dog. Um, she stole his dog <laughs> and left. <laughs> yeah, man. I know, tough. I know. You're someone who has a dog, so this feels very personal. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's my the relationship with my dog is not exactly like Kelligorm and Huan's, but um, fair, yes, fair. yeah. Um, um, so the the idea is that he thinks she's going to be happy to see him. Okay. And so he genuinely she's... believes she's going to be happy to see me when I find her. Right. Yeah. So, like, that's his thing. He, his whole deal is um, it's all going to be fine once be we're fine. in the same room again. Yeah. And instead, she's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> what a surprise. Right. right. <laughs> like, what's this? And, and Kurfin, who is just... Like he's kind of done with this whole situation, starts like, mocking her. Right. So Kelgorm. So, and when he she like barks back at him, Kelgorm all of a sudden starts to put it together. It's like, oh, well, if I you know if I get rid of Baron, ah, so you know, like he's 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 the problem. Like if right. like I need to get rid of him. Except that's not the person who does that. Well, no, 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 no. Kelgorm does do that. Kurafin uses the opportunity to grab Luthien. Like Kelgorm in the book, Kelgorm mm-hmm. charges Baron, and Kur- now in the book we've done something a little different. In the book, they come upon them unawares and just swoop out of the woods. Yeah. We've created this entire conversation where Kurafin is mocking. Luthien for hanging out with her mortal dude. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, Kelgorm shows up. 
believing Luthien everything's going to be fine once they're there together. Luthien shows by her words and actions that she's actually not okay. Um, of course, his brother is not being nice to Luthien no. from the no. start. Right. right? Um, and he wishes that he would kind of like you're 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 you're, you're killing messing. my chances here. You are exactly. the worst right. wingman right. ever, Corvin. Right, yeah. <laughs> worst wingman ever. <laughs> exactly. Who, on, on the other hand, is best. <laughs> right. Yes. right, exactly. Who has here's... been in a fantastic wingman this entire time. Yes, here's here's Caligorn spoiled for choices. Okay, so, um, so he charges Baron, mm-hmm. thinking that if I can just, like, yeah, he, like he I don't know what gets it is. He get, but, he goes yeah. into a rage. Like he, he goes into he a rage. just he just boils over. Right. Um and if I can just if I like he deserves killing uh and yeah. if I can kill him anyway then then like probably he's still sufficiently delusional to think that he, once it kills Baron things will pan out with Luthien. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, that'll right. happen. Yeah, okay. All right. So he um okay, so he charges Baron. Meanwhile, and he may not even be intending to actually harm him. Like it might be to to cow him, make to scare him off again. A demonstration, humiliate him, right? Yeah. A demonstration that he is so much better than this other guy. So yeah. there's a little bit of posturing in this, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's like a, a, a an yeah, intensified version of if she sees us both in the room together, it's obvious who's the, right. who's the, who's the, who's the better catch. Okay, gotcha. Right. All right, so. So he's charging I bump him in the hallway and knock him down and uh, like right. I'm going to give like him a he's going to look so pathetic. There's and, no way yeah, that she's exactly. going to yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Got it. Okay. So he's charging at Baron with malicious but not necessarily deadly lethal intent. Okay. Right. He has a drawn weapon maybe. Right. Meanwhile, yeah, he could come at it with like barehanded or whatever. Okay. Sorry. Then, then, Kurifin snatches Luthien. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then yes. he swoops in and hauls Luthien across the, the saddle horse. Bow, right? Mm-hmm. Onto yeah. the horse. Now, Which, again, given we're what still we just Caligorm. saw, seems like the dumbest thing ever. Right, hang on. But we're still Caligorm. We, we're, that's a later explanation, right? Yeah. We're still Caligorm. I'm doing my macho strut in the direction of Baron, and then I look over, and now my brother has hauled Luthien onto his saddle. Now what am like, I thinking? Uh, oh, I guess we're doing this now. Oh, okay. So, time abduction to go. first, uh, conversation second. Right? It's time to go. Is right. what he's thinking. Right. Okay. Right. right. Um, well, that's also, one way to handle this Baron situation. Could leap directly out from in front of him to to Corifin, because yeah. presumably yeah. these two these people are not that far apart. Right. There are some limitations. Howsoever yes. famous the leap of Baron may be. Yes. 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 Yeah, um, it's really hard for me to believe that this event, which was witnessed by almost no one, was like. But this is the best jump ever, you guys. I know. Like, nobody it's saw one it. Of the, it's one of the strangest little things. Like it's it's low key one of the weirdest elements of the Baron and Luthien story is yeah. the reference to the fact that somehow that one particular athletic accomplishment in the middle of this as you say, largely unwitnessed event became somehow independently famous. Yeah. Well, yeah. because I think it as described, I think Tolkien was imagining Baron leaping after a horse that was riding away from him at full gallop, like mm-hmm. having come in on them unawares as he describes it, like they had a full 
had like a you know they're coming in full tilt full gallop yeah yep. and he outpaces the horse in right. this leap and right that would be it would be something insane it would be something but feat. again in in a sense it would be an even more remarkable accomplishment if it somehow became whoever heard of it and how um yeah but anyway yeah and yeah. if if we want yeah. to make it like a really if we want to make it like a really really intense thing like if he actually knocks the horse down mm-hmm. in the process of this right that's going to that's going to give that sense of the the intense athletic accomplishment that is happening here that the a, tackle of baron of a, the yeah, yeah that a yeah. i i'm blanking on the word i'm my brain's not working very well today i've been sick um a large jump is only it, so no yeah but like what's the the, the jump itself is not incredulous. You would be incredulous about it. What is the word to Incredible? describe? Incre- yeah, but... Yes, but incredible things we think... In- yeah, yeah, we've abused okay. that word, so it doesn't really yes. mean that anymore. But yes. yes. But yes, the incredible... Difficult to be believed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the incredible leap of Baron. I feel on screen would either look absurd or like not that big a deal. That's the thing is like I, I figured you there's a very, very fine line between okay, he jumped and and then he came flying out of nowhere. Right, <laughs> exactly. To, between right. Making Unless him he was like somehow standing like on Superman. a precipice above right. Luthien right. for some reason. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I agree. Which and... I think there's a painting kind of that suggests that somewhere. Yeah. I forget what it, who it was from. Anyway, but yeah. So having him leap sideways in such a way that he does catch Corfin in the leap, but also knocks the horse down in the process, <coughs> um, possibly unceremoniously unseating Luthien in the process as well, which, you know. I would think she'll not be fine. unceremoniously. I'm she's, sure. She's, She's a dancer. She'll be fine. Like as long okay. as the horse goes over. So she over, just somehow like, feet like, first somersaults into a standing. Exactly. Position. Yeah. She she well, she does no, a three point even... landing. She does a three point superhero landing. Something like that. Yeah. 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 The point is, she's fine. She's yes. fine. Yeah. But she yeah. was always going to be fine in this scenario. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. Okay. So. All right, so Kelgorm is alarmed by Luthien being pulled onto his brother's horse, but he's going to go along with it. Again, thinking mm-hmm. like, okay, that wouldn't have been my choice, but if we're making off with... But obviously, like, taking her to safety, this is what we want to do, right? We want to... I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, it was my goal to be alone with her, and here we go. So, um, all right, fine. So he goes, he rolls with it. Um, mm-hmm. But now is where we get to my difficult part. Uh, in this trajectory, right? Um, Kurafin is thrown down and now you're Kelgorm and your brother is being strangled, being choked out by Baron and it looks like Baron is going to kill him. So you're now going to come and beat Baron off of your brother, right? Right. Fine. Right. That makes enough sense. Um, so he, com- but now... Now's Rose the before moment. and all that. Right? 
the now's the Huan moment? No. Yeah. Uh Huan gets between Luthien and Kelligorm at some point here. Right. That's that... what I'm trying to figure out where exactly because he's gonna attack yeah, so, so now Baron is in the process. Uh, he's doing violence to Kelgorm to Kurafin right now. Okay. So Kelgorm is if if he was just going to show off before, is clearly like now, now going to actually perpetrate violence against Baron. Right. right. But what Baron does is chokes him. So yeah. we leave the scene as soon as Kurafin is no longer conscious, because Kurafin's our point of view character. Right. Just, yeah, but we are going to cut the black here. Kel- but, but I'm yeah, just but thinking from Kelgorm's perspective. Although Kelgorm's got to be doing something in the interim, he's not going to just sit there and let that happen. I know. It turns out the choking a person is not an instantaneous process. I'm aware no, of that. Not at all. Yeah. I know. Um, um, the, so yeah. So I think this is where Huan holds Kelgorm at bay. Okay. So so which? Okay. So part of the awkwardness here. So here's my problem. My problem is this doesn't seem the ideal time for Huan because... No, it wasn't supposed to be. It's supposed to be in the later scene. Right, because he's not coming between... Because in that case, he's only coming between um, Baron and Kelgor. Yeah, yeah. Um, But the other issue here is... If not now, then when? So let's just kind of table that for a second. Kurifin, how does Kurifin stop getting? So Baron chokes him unconscious and then leaves him? No, he's going to um, take his weapon. Well, or he's going to we'll take one of his weapons. him and then leave him, right? Yeah, he's going to yeah, take yeah, the yeah. knife. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then tell them to leave. Yeah. 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 And they still have one horse that's still good. So the idea right. is they're supposed to both get on a horse and go. Um, but Huan needs to part ways with them before Caligorm Before leaves. he gets on the horse. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. But nobody. The only violence directed at Luthien is the snatch. You know, the snatch and then the, when onto they, the horse. And then at the very end when Kurafin tries to shoot her. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I mean. Prior to that, I mean, if we want it to be mm-hmm. prior to the shooting from horseback at the end, which is because we we want the two different steps for Huan, right? Mm-hmm. First, I'm going to turn against you and prevent you doing the what the bad thing that you're planning to do. So that's mm-hmm. the moment when Huan draws the line in the sand. But then, like, and I'm going to chase you afterwards is a okay. second step, right? So there are two things. Kelligorm can do when the horse goes down. One is he could try to save Kurifin from Baron. And two is he could go after Luthien, who presumably also fell off the horse. Kelligorm so, could. Yes. So if Kelligorm goes for Luthien and Huan steps mm. between them then, now Kelligorm is held at bay and can't be rescuing his brother. But the reason Huan is blocking his path is because he ran towards Luthien after an attempted abduction. Right. Okay. I, I like this. So if we, if in, in Caligorm's view, Baron and Kurifin are wrestling, 
But like, whatever. He has a low opinion of Baron anyway, so he's not gonna. Presumably, Kurfin's gonna win this fight. Exactly. Need right. any help. So he's like, like whatever. Kurfin's got the other guy who mm-hmm. did like jump impressively, but whatever. Kurfin's got him. Um, I'm running after Luthien, and in his own mind now, he could still be, he can still be. So what what I like about how we're developing Kelgorm here is he's still the hero of his own story, very clearly, right? Right, right. Multiple He's layers of, like, delusion. abusive and narcissistic delusion, right? But he can still rationalize. So, because, like, in his own mind, he's running after Luthien. and she just, like, fell off a moving horse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, though, again, presumably she stuck the landing. Um, but still, she's... And so he's running towards her. Who on and he are going to be seeing that situation differently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Huan is the less delusional of the two, as it Correct. is clear that what Kurifin was doing and what Kelegorm is now currently, even if he is telling himself that he is like wanting to protect her and take her away from this or something. That's not what she wanted, and that's not okay with Huan. And abduction is clearly what is in was just happening and seems to be on hand. Anyway, Huan says... Enough is enough. This is the moment when right. he says enough is enough. But he does so nonviolently. He just interposes himself. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, Which shocks Caligorm. Shocks Caligorm. Yeah. Shocks Caligorm. Absolutely. Um, okay. So Caligorm is shocked. Um, but not yet. Like, presumably he still feels like this is a, some kind of misunderstanding with Huan that could be sorted out also. Right? Um, but anyway, he's upset. He can't, Huan's gonna, you know, he can't, especially on foot, um, get around Huan, right? Um, so he's got to abandon the, I'm running for Luthien thing. Then he turns around and now Kurifin is choked out, right? Kurifin's yeah. choked out. Baron is standing over his body and Huan is holding him at bay, right? Baron says, get on the horse, take your scumbag brother and get out of here, Right. Mm-hmm. So Kelgorm, seeing no other choice because Huan has turned on him, um, gets on the horse, pulls up Kurifin, and they're going to leave. Mm-hmm. And he now behind his back, Kurifin. Who's behind in the horse? Is Kelgorm in front on the horse? He would I, have to be under the circumstances. I, I would presume that Kelgorm is the one riding the horse. And Kurifin is just tagging along. Mm-hmm. Therefore, Kurifin has free hands and access to wherever Kelogorm's bow is because Baron only took Kurifin's weapons. Kurifin's weapons. Right. Not Kelogorm's. Right. Okay. So then behind Kelogorm's back, Kurifin shoots. Now, even if he were to become peripherally aware that Kurifin is shooting his bow, he would assume he's shooting at Baron, probably. Right? Because Kelogorm's uh, yes. certainly not going to shoot at Luthien. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And, obviously, Baron's the one who just hurt Kurifin. So, Kelogorm's so not going to care. Or at least, yeah, not... He's not going to have the, no, not Luthien reaction, because he doesn't realize that's well, what's happening. He wouldn't know. He wouldn't, I mean, right. I, I, th- I, I would think he would assume. Like, he would not even yeah. realize. And, of course, he doesn't succeed in 
Corfin doesn't succeed in hitting her, um, and his back is turned. Right, so mm-hmm. he might even never know. He would know. He might right. know he's shooting a bow, but he would at least assume that he's shooting at Baron. I would think. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then, but two unsuccessful shots, as far as he knows, or maybe he could even look back and see, oh, you hit Baron, great. I mean, like, okay, so then he rides away. So we can get mm-hmm. Kelagorm all the way to riding away on the horse with Kurafin, consistent with his delusional idea. That he is of what's still, going on. yeah, the dreamboat future husband of Luthien, right? I mean, that's sure. okay. Okay, I think that can work. Um, one of the other things that I was concerned about, one of the reasons I'm I'm taking it through step by step like this, is I wanted to make sure it would make sense for the two of them to stay together. Right. Obviously, if Kelagorm realized that Kurifin was shooting at Luthien, then. They that would create problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. So he can leave with his delusions intact. Now, back to Kurafin. Right. Restart so the he, scene. Okay. He's headed to see Fingen because he needs to salvage something from his time yeah. in West Beleriand, which has been disastrous. And now there's Baron and Luthien. Right. The fact that his time in West Beleriand has been disastrous... And he has everything to prove. And here are the people who kind of messed things up for him. Yeah. Kurfin is having some anger management issues throughout the entire scene. Yes, for sure. And so that, that's why I like him being a little bit surprised that they've stumbled upon Baron and Luthien. So yes. that he can be reacting in the moment. It's sort of right. more triggering because he's not expecting it. Yeah. And, and also he's kind of like, a, he, you know, he's got to kind of look over it. Kelgorm and be like, these, these people again. Why? Why? Yes. Why? why <laughs> we don't need this in our lives. What are we right. doing? Yeah. Right. So right. Just we had been turning the page, Kelgorm. We were turning the page. Yeah. 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 So, so, so there is also a kind of underlying frustration with his brother that he also mm-hmm. brings into this scene at the start. Okay. Right. So. You come in and you you're you're Kurafin. You come in and you yell abusive things at Luthien, right? Why are you yelling abusive things at Luthien? Just anger management? Like you're just venting your spleen because you're upset? Yeah, like you It's a it's an opera it's like The reason his whole thing came collapsing down, the <clears throat> thing that made Oradra kick him out of Nargothrond Mm-hmm. was Mablong's army showing up. Right. And mm-hmm. Mablong's army showed up because Luthien totally wasn't, fault. Yeah. wasn't really that right. into Kelagor. Right. So it, uh, on one level, it's Luthien's fault this all happened. Luthien's fault. Yeah. And the reason is because of her strange obsession with her mortal boyfriend. Yeah. So let's say something That's really clearly, yeah. scathing yep. mm-hmm. about her interest in this mortal, which has ruined everything. Right. Okay. Right. So there's a so little he, bit of cruelty because he's the one who got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So that all tracks. So he shouts. Kelgorm starts riding towards Baron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your Kurafin. Are you, what are you thinking? He's gonna kill him? Like he's attacking him to kill? He's like so. Kurafin is responding as well. Yeah, Kurfin's in his like, mind, uh, it's Caligorm who's escalated things. 
Right. Right. The two okay. of them didn't talk this through. Yeah. And he's like, all right, plan. fine, fine. We'll let's right. get her. I kind of like the idea that both of them like think the other one has escalated things. Right. Yes. Kelgorm yeah. thinks that Kurifin has by sna- by you know snatching up Luthien, and Kurifin thinks that Kelgorm has by charging towards Baron in the first place. When in fact, he was going to just have. shout some insults. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, they're just feeding off of each other. It's chaos. Okay, so once um, he's gonna attack and kill Baron, Kelgorm now decides I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna grab her. I'm gonna grab Kurfin. her and throw her across yeah. my saddle bow. Why? Why am I doing this? Because to punish Thingle, maybe? To punish for, Thingle? Yeah. One to get out of the situation and salvage it. Um He could return her to Thingle. Exactly. This is a bargaining chip. Maybe the whole he, reason yeah. he got kicked out of Nargothrond was because uh-huh. they lost Luthien. Uh-huh. He's got Luthien now. He's not going to let her go. Right. Yeah. But yeah. he can be the one who returns her to Doriath and gets yeah. back in people's good graces or whatever. Yeah. But mm-hmm. she was the key. Like, if she's the reason he fell apart, then she's the key to getting back what he had. Yeah. And so, Maybe like, the somehow. combination of the two things that, like, she's the bargaining chip that could help him potentially salvage something. And he's also mad at her because it's all her fault in the first place. And mm-hmm. so, so he's going to drag her kicking and screaming. Exactly. Yeah. Like if she is not on board with this, that just is like better because she doesn't get a vote because it's all her fault anyway. And if right. she's upset about it, that's more satisfying. So, okay, great. So now there she is kicking and screaming across your saddle bow. And then Baron performs his astonishing athletic achievement and knocks you and the horse off the horse, right? And so um, they are... So now he's, you know, uh, fisticuffs, uh, whatever, with Baron, and um, Baron... It turns out that Baron actually knows how to fight. This yeah, is not it turns out that Baron is not us. So yeah, so <laughs> Baron chokes him out. So then we, as Kurifin, lose consciousness, which means we don't see... Who I'm right. turning against Kelgor. Right. Importantly. Yes. Okay. Because we see that in the other scene. We might hear a bark, like right. as he's getting choked out. Kelgorm's mm-hmm. or like Huan's involved somehow. Right. But we doesn't know how. Okay. So then he regains consciousness with Noldoran resilience and um only to find himself being hoisted up onto the back of Kelgorm's horse right. by Kelgorm, right? Mm-hmm. So you're coming back into consciousness with a splitting headache, um, and you see Baron and Luthien standing there, and Huan nearby, but he's behind you. Maybe Huan is going to follow along. Who knows? It's not your dog anyway. You don't really care. So right. um, he, but he's still just really mad. So he's going to mm-hmm. he's going to shoot back and he's going to so why are we shooting Luthien? We're shooting Luthien cuz he he can't get her anyway. Right. So is this just like he's mad at her. He's mad at a her. potential bargaining chip. Right. But now apparently she's not coming with them and they're leaving with nothing again. Yeah. And it's still all her fault. And it's right. still all her fault. And um yeah. This is not a rational choice on Corrin's yeah. part. And I think, I think that Kelgorm should know that he meant to shoot her. How that is a like maybe he says something, you know, like that indicates 
mm-hmm. who it was he meant he, he was meant to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. You know. um, well, if Kerfin says anything afterwards about being angry that he missed, mm-hmm. that'll right. be a then giveaway. Then Kilgore would be like, "You didn't miss. You you hit him." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Again, the question is if Kurvin has the presence of mind to not give that away. Yes. Mm. Yes. Okay. Um, Yeah. Well, I think he thinks that his brother is delusional. Which is. Right, to think that, like, like, Kelgorm, this is not happening for you. Right. 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 Um... Okay, so he, in an act of irrational rage, shoots at Luthien. Um, and I have to think with half an idea that Baron might throw himself in front of her, in which case he shoots him, you know, like, Yay. either way, like, win-win situation. Yay, as as the he might have intended to shoot him next. Yes, yes. Um, or that's why I shot two arrows, because I figured you'd f- throw yourself in front of the first one and I'd shoot you, and the second one would hit her, right? Right. Um, uh, so he didn't count on Huan. He didn't count on Huan because he didn't know that Huan had changed sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Huan chases them. And he knows that Huan has changed sides. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Okay. Um, that works. That works. Um, that all seems to track reasonably well. My last question about Kelgorm and Kurafin because I know it's getting very late, so we need to wrap up pretty quickly here. My last question about Kelgorm and Kurafin is, what are their future relations with each other like? If How does this impact? Kelgorm knows that Kurafin meant to, to, sh- shoot to shoot her. Like, Kurafin should, should be, like, really fed up with Kelgorm for a yes. long while, but he hasn't yes. done anything. Like Kelgorm hasn't done anything to him, right? He's just a real pain, pain in the neck, and an idiot. He just needs right? managing all the time, and can't right. Be and it's to... exhausting, yeah, right? I'd imagine it'd be exhausting for <clears throat> Kurafin. Yeah. yeah. If Kelgorm knows that there was intent to kill Luthien, yeah. Um, or if Kelgorm believes that Kurafin cost him Luthien. Yes. Yes. Right? He'll never really forgive him. Yes. Right? Um, and I think that the the later alliance, like, they should be separated in the near ninth. Yeah, I think... Th- right? There, For the, the first time. There should be some estrangement, I would think, between them after this. When... Kurofin gets Kelgorm to support him in the kinslaying. He's really got to work hard to sell him on it. Mm-hmm. And when he finally does, Kelgorm's essentially like, fine, fine, but I'll tell you this, I'd gladly kill you for free, essentially. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. They yeah, would each I... be blaming each other for the disastrous outcome of all of these events. Right. And yeah. 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 We've managed to show Kelgorm Staying kind of outside of family politics for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, oh, just a bumbling idiot, so whatever. Like, he's just not paying attention to that kind of stuff. I think he's paying attention right. to this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah so I, I believe that Caligorm and Kerfin are going to have a cooler relationship throughout the Nernife. 
and to show that this kind of stuff isn't easily healed. Right. Like it's the sons cost. of yeah, the sons of Feanor stick together because they have to because of the oath. But it's not like they're all going to like each other at the end of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they didn't necessarily all like each other at the beginning, but that's. I mean, really, it's going to be after this. It's going to be really just Maglor and Mithros working together. Buddies. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, because yeah, we're yep. we're we're splintering them a bit, and everyone's going to get injured in the near night. Yes, of the Sons of Feanor. Yes, none of them killed, but they're all going to get injured. But all of them injured. Yes, and yes. that is. Yeah, I mean, we'll be able to do stuff with that. Definitely. Yeah, and Definitely. the whole scene at the end of this, where they where they return to Mythros, and he is so fed up with all of them. Yeah, like because yeah. it's not just them; it's also Carinthir and his weird treasure obsession. And now Carinthir it wants to play play hardball with these dwarves. No, 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 no. We're doing their deal. Yeah, fine. You know, you figure it out. Okay. Like, yeah. So help me, one of you will learn to work with another person. Right. Yeah. Right. Mythros. Um, and so where we're leaving Mythros is deeply frustrated with the fact that he can't rely on anybody and he can't get anybody to work together effectively. And he is perceiving that now he his hope had been that post Dagor Bragalach there would be the opportunity for them to... And now Fingen, his best friend, is High King, right? Surely now we can mend fences and work together, and all of his brothers are doing their level best to make everything as bad as possible uh, for everything. And 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 Finrod is dead. The news they brought back is that Finrod is dead, and not only did they not prevent it, they kind of sort of caused it. Uh, Not entirely, but they certainly didn't help the situation, so... Yeah, Mythros is very frustrated, and yes. this is our way to set up the Getting beginning of the, the union. He's gonna, the he's, gonna he's gonna, yeah. he's gonna be like, okay, totally new approach. I'm just right. taking control of, like, you guys just do the exact thing I tell you when I tell you to do it. Yeah. You you guys don't get a vote. Don't anymore. talk to anybody <laughs> don't else. Talk to anybody. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. So so yeah, the union of Mithros is coming, and when that turns into the near knife, Mithros loses. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he's gonna try a style of leadership that is a little bit more like Feanor, right? Where mm-hmm. it's what I say goes, and you all do what I say, and. Mm-hmm this is it like there is yeah. no discussion here yeah and when that doesn't work he well, no longer well, can tell his brothers what to do while on the other hand d- using a more fingolfinian style of leadership with everybody else Getting and so that kind of together. weird dichotomy mm-hmm. he's not able to yeah. maintain it it is his yes it, it, uh, the near knife is going to, or leading up to the near knife, the union, as you say, is going to be Mithros' big gambit, right? Mm-hmm. To try to unite the, you know, the 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 unification impulses of Fingolfin and his people with the strength of leadership of Feanor, um, and it's going to like almost work, but um, yeah. But I think yeah. 
like it doesn't have to be that complete dichotomy. I think we can show some of that do it my way or else, even in his yeah, relationship sure. with Fingen, because he can be yeah. super deferential, like, oh, you're a high king, you make all the calls. So here's the deal. We've all so sworn he, an oath, and there's so a summer the on Doriath, yeah. so yeah. either we all attack Morgoth, or you figure out what's going to happen next. Right, exactly. Like, yeah. he could like put that. that on the table for Fingen and be like, I'm not telling you anything, but <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm not saying we're going to attack Doriath, I'm just saying. what we yeah. could yeah. do is, yeah. is towards the end of this, like, the closer we get to the battle itself, the the more it's it's fraying at him, and the more autocratic he's getting uh-huh. with even his allies. Yeah, yep. that's what I'm saying. It's like I want to show something of that autocratic nature slip into even his relationship with Fingen. It's not yeah. that he and Fingen are such good buddies; they plan this whole thing, and they're like working together so great. Mm. There's a level of threat on the table, mm. and yep. a level of well, fin- Finrod's dead, so it's got to be you kind of stuff. Like those kinds of conversations. Yep. Mm-hmm. I like it, but we're now planning like half of season seven. Yeah, so, yeah, let's not do that. In three minutes, yes. Tell me the dwarf plot. <laughs> Go for okay. it. Nick. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. dwarf A and dwarf B, the adventures of dwarf A and dwarf B. Dwarf A and dwarf B. So mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of to to do more of what we just said. We weren't going to do a second ago. I have in mind this idea of planting pairs of normal guys for us yeah. to follow through the near knife okay. uh in addition to our yeah. elf lords who are yeah. steadily dropping like flies so like yeah, yeah, you know yeah. sure. to give us some boots on the ground to follow around and this is mm-hmm. our first pair it okay. uh, are these two dudes and they're just working on the siege line man just yeah digging trenches like they're sergeants there and when Glaurung tears out of out of Keep Hellevor and he just mows down their their sergeant and leaves and they're just standing there like <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> right. Okay, so and just so to remind us, the dwarves were besieging besieging Keep Hellevorn. Keep yes, on. they were keeping Glaurung in, who had zero intention of going anywhere. Right, right. Right, and trying to figure out how they were going to um, deal with the situation. Because, like, like in The Hobbit, they didn't really they didn't think this through. <laughs> they were just yeah. like, okay, so we'll all go out there and figure it out. Right. I guess. Right. right. Okay. And yet, yes, Meowindy, they are indeed working class dwarves. Yes. That's it. Um, That's it. And um, uh, there's a, there's a scene where um, um, birds from Dorthonian come through and they, you know, what is all this nonsense? And they wind up going into, into Keep Helvorn and, uh, communicating with Glaurung, who lays out his evil plan for Dothonian, right? Um, right. Um, right. I got talked out of uh, so the you know the the Lord of Tuls of Tullingar House has failed. You know, like I I I, I wanted a whole big you know soliloquy there, but apparently that that was too 
overly melodramatic or something of that nature. Um, it's like a good dragon soliloquy. Come on. I, it's like, who says no? Well, anyway, okay, it was fine. unpopular. It was unpopular. Um, okay. Well, you know. I mean, okay. keep in mind that this scene is supposed to be mostly Dorvan point of view. Yes. But yes. Gotcha. The, what we're getting from Glorung is that the birds from Angband present him with the opportunity to become Lord of Dorthonian. Like, that's what Morgoth wants him to do. Like, the stop dragon wasting time. King, the dragon yeah. lord of Dorthonian. Yes. Right, right, right. Yeah. So then the decision scene has to come later, though. So when he's first being presented with this, he's got to be a, but I'm happy where I am. Why would I go anywhere? Nice treasure mm-hmm. here. I yep, got a big horde. I got, I'm good yep. with what I got here, except he's not good with what he's got because he's a dragon. He wants more. And so the what he wants more of is the he can rule a realm of his own right. <laughs> and have treasure. Right. So he figures and it he's, out. And he begins to scheme, I'm going to make myself the dragon king of all of Beleriand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's to obviously set up his later story as well. Yeah. But to yeah. to see that it's difficult to talk Glorong into things. But he's never going to be satisfied, and he's always going to want more. So if you can dangle things in front of him, yes. So yes. this is Morgoth dangling something in front of Glaron to okay. see if he'll take the bait, and he does. And so the dwarves retake Keep Hellaborn and go to meet with Myros. These two guys deliver the deliver their terms, like, "Hey, so um, we took back Keep Hellaborn for you. You're welcome." And we will happily enter into an arrangement where we will have joint control over the <laughs> right. toll road. We will give road. you a right. We will we will renegotiate our uh, toll relationship and even give you back a portion of the treasure, which is here in 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 Keep Hellhorn. Right. Very generously. And Carithir is like livid. Like right. foaming at the mouth, I livid, can that. Yeah. and us immediately nips in the bud. He's like, "No, no, we are doing <laughs> this. You are not taking soldiers over there to right. fight with these people over right. money. Right? Fix it. Right? Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. So again, this is this is Mythros just at the end of his rope with his siblings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Except for Magler. Magler's still great. But uh right. except for Magler. Right. Amros is is like at M-I-A. least not breaking right. anything. Just out down there living in a yurt and smoking weed or something, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um if right. you're not gonna do anything helpful at the least don't make anything worse. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Excellent. Thank that was Six Pretty minutes. much the impression I got. I did not. Yeah, we, we were a little over, but that's okay. Six is just close enough. Um, uh, looking forward to. Are two dwarves ever going to get names? Yeah. Uh, some there have been some suggestions, but okay. Okay, we'll get there. Um, they're, they're certainly going to be named by next season. So, yeah. You know, David Michael Roberts points out, of course, I'm sure this has uh, not escaped you before this point, um, but it is going to be a great deal of fun to devise fitting ends for the Sons of Fanor, who largely die, like, I mean, off screen. And uh, I mean, like, 
they're just like we, in a list of you know casualties. We, basically. Yeah, we know what happens to them. The question is, how is that going to matter to the story? How if I have my way, Caranthir will meet his end in the treasure vault where Thingol himself was also killed. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. But yeah, we we get to kill a bunch of them off in Doriath, um, and the surviving twin in the Havens, and then. Obviously, Tolkien wrote the deaths of the last two, so we do yeah. have yeah, we do have the some stuff to work with there. Yeah, yeah, it's mostly the Doriath situation where we have to figure out how they die. Right, right, yep. And whether or not uh, what who kills who kills who kills who. <laughs> right situation. Right. Yes. Right. Yep. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Okay, but that is not even season seven, so um, we shan't go there this evening. Unless you want to say that Caligorm gets to kill Dior and that has something to do with what happens in this episode, but you know. That's oh, we will, see. we will see. We will not, see. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil that yet. Yeah, yeah no decisions yet. No decisions yet. No decisions yet. Speaking okay. of which. Yeah, speaking of which. Okay. Oh. Okay. So this is about this episode. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is just things that happen. Things that happen. I missed the things that happened slide. Here, I thought I was. Yeah. Adva- I totally thought I was advancing to the questions moving forward slide. Um, oh yes, yeah, sorry, I put that in there. It's, no, it's that's a, cool. Who only chooses kind of, Luthien and rejects Kelly? It's, it's the theme of the yeah. episode, mm-hmm. right? The choice, which I, so maybe the title should reflect that. Yeah, that was why when you said like, "Do you want a different title?" I'm like, "Yes, I do." In fact, but I felt like so, I had to use Leap of Baron. <laughs> the choices about of choosing. Master Kurufin. <laughs> yeah, something. Uh, maybe not <laughs> so, that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Good. Good. All right. Well, we will. Um, um, cool. Well, I look forward to the follow up, the uh, um, uh, romance episode next time will be interesting. So, and that next time will be two weeks from tonight. Our next session will be on Thursday, February 23rd at 10 p.m. And we'll be discussing episode nine when Baron and Luthien come back to the forefront and figure out who they are and what they're doing. And that's going to be the one that really turns towards the final sequence, right? It's going to be at the end of episode nine, we're going to be headed towards Angband and we're going to be doing so, you know, we're after nine, we're into you know, Angband, and we're getting married, and we're hunting wolves, and we're going to Mandos, and Dead. all kinds of things, right? So um, we start onto that final. Tra- so, but but the whole point of episode nine is how do we get onto that trajectory? So mm-hmm. that will be cool. And then the script discussion for episode thirteen, the final uh, episode of the season, will be on Friday, March third. So, of course, our script discussions, which is when. Nick and Marie get together and just kind of brainstorm with people about, you know, how the episode is going to go, um, laying the foundations that we're discussing here and reacting to here, um, uh, is, um, uh, that's, that's, that's what happens at the script discussions, episode 13, March 3rd, Friday, March 3rd at 8 PM. So we'll, uh, no, Stephen, they're, they're already well married by the, uh, by the time we get to episode 13. So yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. But um, just, yeah, there will be burying. Oh. Yep. Um, episode 13 is post-resurrection, right? It's uh, yeah, including so, resurrection. Including yeah, resurrection. The yeah. wedding ceremony is the end of 11. 
12 opens with the wedding party. Um, 12 closes with the death of Baron. Mm -hmm. 13, therefore, will have to include the death of Luthien and all the time in Mandos and the return. So, yeah, the the resurrection will be in episode 13, obviously. And Mandos. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All the Mandos stuff is in 13. Awesome. Okay, so uh, you want to participate in the discussion as they figure out how to handle the Mando scene? Friday, March 3rd at 8 p.m. That's when that's happening. So, okay, yes. cool. Very good. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We've been a, um, we got a little carried away today talking about Kelgorm and Kordofin, but hey, you know, it happens. You're talking about the Fandorians. Things get out of control sometimes. Uh, there's a, it's a known hazard. Um, but uh, very good. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, we will see you guys again in two weeks as we continue through Season 6 into discussing Episode 9. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and Godspeed.